Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 341. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Alakazam Shazam. This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about DC books we read this week and coming up on this show we have Batman One Bad Day Catwoman issue 1, Detective Comics 1068, Action Comics 1051, Lazarus Planet We Were Gods issue 1, Justice Society of America issue 2, Blue Beetle Graduation Day issue 3, and The Human Target issue 11. That is what's coming up on this week's show. So uh, settle in for, for that. We do have a little bit of news as well, actually. And uh, of course, there's a... What's it always time for, Matt? Um, vanilla. Uh, Isn't that one of your sign-offs? I, I, well, I end some the TV reviews with have you got any vanilla? Ah, uh, there we go. <laughs> Time doesn't really factor into it. You know, there's always room for pudding, right? <laughs> That's what the great Dr. Peter Venkman taught me. Hmm. Now there's always time for a comicsology top ten, everyone. Adios, mijo. So we're gonna get straight into that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so as always, looking at Tuesdays first and then Wednesday releases because they split them up uh, mm-hmm. into separate charts. So, uh, what do you think the number one book was from DC on Tuesday, Matt? I'm I'm gonna take a gamble and say it's Action Comics ten fifty one. Uh, you're right. It is Action Comics. Oh dang! Look at that. One thousand fifty one. Uh, number two is Justice Society of America. Hey. So doing well. And uh, number three is Lazarus Planet, We Were Gods, which is, I mean, I guess it's technically an event. So I think last week's one yeah. shot also did relatively well. Pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, number four is Batman, One Bad Day. So okay. there's that. Number five is a Human Target. So doing uh, well. And okay. number six is Detective Comics. So that's maybe a little bit lower than A little bit I, lower for... Ram V doing some great work. I'm a little bit sad on that. Yeah, I wonder if it's just not appealing to as much of a mass audience, yeah. perhaps, as, as most Batman stories do, and yeah. it's dripped off a little bit. Uh, number seven is Tim Drake Robin, issue five. Mm-hmm. Number eight is Blue Beetle Graduation Day. Number nine is Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And number ten is Catwoman 51, which yeah. uh, has not been doing that well, which I guess just tells no. me that the uh, the... The floor for the top ten this week's a little bit lower yeah. than perhaps it usually is. So, uh, Yo, not bad, not bad, not bad. Uh, so what about what about uh, Wednesday, Matt? What do you think? Well, I feel like you want me to take the bait that it's a it's a Marvel book, but I'm gonna guess that it's Saga at number one. That is incorrect. Oh my goodness! I'm afraid number one is Sins of Sinister issue one, which is a Marvel book. What the hell is this? I thought it's Kieran Gillen, so Connor's probably foaming at the mouth wanting to read it. Uh, yeah. And I'm just I love the concept of Mr. Sinister, but there's been so much up and down with him that it's... Oh, man. Yeah, some sort of s- s- sinister event of some kind. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so... Not to date at my Marvel. The universe melting X event begins here in a horror timeline that makes Age of Apocalypse look like the X-Men swimsuit special. Join Kieran Gillen as he kicks off the X-Men crossover Sinisters and Finding since the beginning. Huh. Well, it's David Lopez and Travel Foreman on art, so... I think there's a couple artists, actually. Um, hmm. yeah. yeah, man. I wish I could get into X-Men, but it's too insular now. Mm. Like, 
so many moving parts and different things. I'll probably try when there's another jumping on point, but I think yeah. the, the current uh, swath of it is a bit too... Uh, Dense. Mm. Uh, number two is Saga, though, so you weren't okay. too far off uh, with that. Saga issue 61. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number three is Amazing Spider-Man. So, not surprised there. That would have been my other guess if I didn't go Saga. Would have been Spider-Man 18, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Number four is Exterminators, issue five of five. So, mm-hmm. wrapping up that miniseries. So, uh, who is that? Is that Percy? Uh, that's actually Leo Williams, who okay. is in one of the DC books this week, probably. Yes. All right. Uh, and then we got Sabretooth and the Exiles at number five. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That's a thing. That's a cool looking cover. It's all the uh, Mary Starenko esque. Okay, okay. Uh, number six is not a Marvel book. We have uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Last Ronin. Uh, oh, that's when they uh, out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Turtles book. Uh, issue one of a five issue series. So mm-hmm. that's cool. That's uh, yeah. That's the basically the end of TMNT. It's like the last story. Hmm. So it's like the Dark Knight Returns uh, yep. style. Okay, okay. Uh, then number seven is Thor issue 30. Okay. Uh, number eight is Magic Order issue... Sorry, Mar- Magic Order 4 issue one, which is a Mark Miller book. So, okay. Uh, but hey, no, no non-Marvel. That's three non-Marvel books so far in the yeah. top ten. Uh, number nine is Star Wars The High Republic, The Blade, which is Marvel, obviously, although... It yes. feels feels like a weird one to count because it's Star Wars, but they own it, so yeah. Uh, and then number ten is Dragon Age: The Missing Issue one. So that's four non-Marvel books on the Wednesday uh-huh. top ten. They must. I've got a feeling here. Look at the rest, though, that Marvel just didn't release as many books this week. So <laughs> that's fair enough. Uh, but well, let's look. I'll select. I'm gonna see how many Marvel books come up. Hmm. Nope, that's not what I wanted. That's what I wanted. So this is great. All right, the economy geeks is being difficult right now. So I don't know what Connor had did, but he's he's got a Dragon Age book. He's got Kieran Gillen yeah. books coming out. There's a lot of yeah. Connor centric material out this week. Yeah. So it looks like there's only twelve Marvel books out this week, and three of which were Star Wars. Um, looks like four of which were X books. Uh, and then Thor and Amazing Spider-Man and a Doctor Strange book. So, huh. that was that was that was riveting, Matt. I'm so glad yeah. you looked that up. Is it? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> just let people know. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it just looks a bit like they're not all kind of mainstream stuff, though. Like you've got. Um, mm-hmm. Like Midnight Suns, which I think is a tie-in, or at least tangentially related to the video game that came out, which is a very good video game, but, um, you know, it, it means the comic's not as important right. in terms of comic books. And then you've got, like, All Out Avengers, which looks like a sort of, you know, just a gimmicky miniseries. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it feels like there's a lot of uh, non-mainline books, I suppose, from Marvel yeah. this week. So that is uh, the Comicsology Top 10. Uh, we will move on to... So good news! Exciting news! Uh, we got an announcement of a new DC book this week for May. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Titans Issue 1 by Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott. 
And this is hey. officially replacing the Justice League, at least for a few months. More than that in a minute in a second, your story. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, obviously, the creative team is a lot to be happy about. Uh, the cover they put out is very nice. And, you know, we, we've always championed uh, mm-hmm. Dick and the Titans taking over for the Justice League. And, yep. you know, and th- this is the, you know, the classic New Teen Titans lineup. Uh, the only difference is being that Wally's in a Flash outfit instead of a kid, yep. fla- kid Flash outfit. Mm-hmm. So. And Beast Boy has an eye patch now. Of oh, course. I don't know if he did in that. Uh, I don't know if he did in that cover. Um, but yeah, uh, you're, you're telling me that the Titans are getting Nicola Scott treatment, and I am, I am there every time. And then you're going to say, and it's written by Tom Taylor. That's that's a double, a double yes for me. Of course, yeah, no doubt that we were going to be into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, I mean it's just it's uh, it's it's just nothing but good news, really. Um. It's set up in issue 100 and Nightwing, so it feels like a natural sort of uh, offshoot of that book, which is cool. Um, I I couldn't be more excited. So, for sure, for sure. And this must have been the thing that Rodondo and Taylor were kind of teasing on on the more to come with the Titans. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although it seems Rodondo will be sticking with Nightwing. We we were speculating yeah. that Rodondo might jump and mm-hmm. someone else will take over Nightwing art wise, but not clearly yeah, which, not the case. Which... I'd be like, oh, it's not Redondo. Oh, but it's Nicola Scott. Okay. Oh, is so. it possible that Taylor's starting to get into that sort of Tom King level where he only gets good artists now? Mm-hmm. I think I think him and Nicola Scott were trying to work together for the longest time because I think they did some of the, you know, New 52 um, Earth 2 book together. Mm. And I just think they had kept missing each other because um, they're, they're fairly friendly with each other online. Um, yeah, Matt, you've so. completely frozen still there. I don't know if you've noticed oh. that. No, let me see. Uh oh. Maybe uh, turn the camera off and on again. Maybe is the. the I, don't, I don't know if I can. I don't. There we go. Am I? Am I moving? No. No. <laughs> All right. Give me. Give me a second. <laughs> uh, well, while Matt's uh, trying to fix that, uh, the other bit of news here is that DC put out a slightly updated version of the timeline of Dawn of DC for the year. Uh, and it kind of reveals a couple things. Um, basically, there's the, this was already speculated, but there's going to be some sort of book, probably an event called Night Terrors, and that's Night with a K. So that's happening. And then it looks like towards the end of the year, uh, some kind of Justice League book. So it seems like we've already got a confirmation of when the Justice League are coming back. So, so Titans... I mean, maybe the books will be set at different times, so Titans will actually be in charge for longer than however many months it is but in terms of being alone on the on the the comic book shelves titans will only have the reign for about maybe five or six months so that's a bit annoying like why not let it last a bit longer but i mean maybe the plans for whatever the justice league is going to be at the end of the year will be good but um you can just sort of kind of i mean people have like risen the brightness and stuff to see it properly but even on the the regular version of this timeline where you can only just see start of the j you can kind of make out the l you can sort of see it's a justice league logo but, I mean, who knows, maybe it'll be some sort of alternative Justice League that doesn't take place on Earth or something. Matt, any thoughts on uh, uh, the, the, the Justice League or Night Terror's uh, teases? Um, no, because I, I have not seen these. I've had a very busy week. Oh, there's, um, well, there's I, nothing to see. It's just a logo that implies yeah. there's a Justice League book coming towards the end of gotcha. the year. The, the, no, no, nothing. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very rare that there's not a Justice League book out there, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't it doesn't last that long so 
Yeah, I think what's interesting, just looking at the graphic, is that now May has, like, five things, like, five logos mm-hmm. listed in it, because Titans has been added to it, the Green Lantern book's coming, mm-hmm. the Shazam's book coming, and so on. There's, like, five there now. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make me wonder, in June, there's the Wonder Woman logo. It, it it's almost implies to me that there's going to be another three or four added to that as well for June that we'll maybe find out about in the next month or so. It's just, yeah. I mean, they may not all match, but it just seems like it's possible given just the, the amount of space that's there for it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's all I've got. That's all I've got to say on the matter. Uh, gotcha. So there you go. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's basically that was, that was the new. I was, I mean, I was surprised we even got that because usually the week after solicits is a uh, uh, yeah. a wasteland as far as far as news goes. So mm-hmm. it was surprising to even get a big announcement. Uh, yeah, especially from Taylor himself, right? Because usually that would have been like a release of some kind, you know. Well, usually they'll leave it for, like, a week before the solicits. They'll sort of, like, do the big announcements kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if... I'm, I'm trying to wonder why they timed it this way. Because it's not like they're dealing with final cutoff orders or anything yet, because that's still mm-hmm. way, you know, after solicits. Way, way, way. Yeah. So... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess they were waiting until after Nightwing 100 came out, which makes sense, but they could have still... Maybe they just didn't want to overshadow the solicits that just came out, so they waited till after them. Because obviously mm-hmm. this was for May, and we just got the April solicits, so maybe they thought, oh no, if we put that out first, it'll... That, that's a bigger news story than anything that's mm-hmm. in the solicits for, for April. Maybe, maybe that was the, the thinking behind it. But then still, why not just wait another few weeks? I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just looking at the stuff now, at the the article so looks like there's going to be quite a few because as it you would assume that each of those um like the spaces right so like the one under wonder woman and then the other one you'd assume there's there's going to be a, quite a few underneath there yeah so, i mean that said there's um, nothing under the green arrow one which has a bit of space underneath it but just true too. The, the way it's filled in under that batman one yeah and may makes me think oh the the june wonder woman one will also have like three or four underneath it as well yeah for sure so, just taking a look. But yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not surprised about the whole justice thing because it's even even in, when like it was Cry for Justice, that was still branded as a Justice League book, even though that was more of a miniseries and kind of set away from its its own things. Um, we still had technically a Justice League, although I don't know if there was a Justice League book ongoing at the time. Like, I feel like there was, but you know, everything past five years ago is kind of hazy. This show's been more than five years old now, Matt. So yeah. that, that means the stuff from the start of this show that you're saying is hazy. A hundred percent. Reading through Superman, or uh, the actual comics this week, and thinking back to that Jurgen story, and then it got me thinking about his time writing Rebirth, and was that... Was, was his Superman stuff on action? Was that pre or post? And I could not remember. And I'm like, it had to have been at the start of Rebirth, right? It was. His like, action comics yeah. was... Th- he wrote Lois and yeah. Clark miniseries before Rebirth, yeah. and then his action comics yeah. run was obviously in Rebirth, so yes. But then I couldn't remember anything that specifically came from it. I just remember liking parts of it, but the actual stories of itself, I could not remember. So. The, the, the fake Clark, the turned out to be Mixie. Mm-hmm. Oh? Not ringing a bell? <laughs> sure. I, I just remember getting to an issue that... Mr. Oz? Wrote... Yes. I remember the Mr. Oz stuff. I, wasn't okay. I remember getting to the issue <laughs> and uh, them writing out Connor Kent. And that's where the Connor Kent exists thing came from. 
Um, huh? Yeah, don't do that to me. <laughs> he exists now. Who knows for how much longer? But hey. Uh. Well, we got all these new supercars. We don't need Connor Kennedy anymore. He's just dead weight. I know. He's the redundancy. That should be his nickname now. <laughs> <laughs> he is redundant. All right, let's get into the books, shall we, for the week. So we'll kick off with Batman, One Bad Day, Catwoman, Issue 1, Jewel Wilson writing with Jamie McKelvey on the art. So, yeah, um, this is the story of Catwoman stealing something, which is not surprising. Mm -hmm. That that often tends to be what she's doing. That's her bag. But uh, this is a personal item, which is something that we learned through flashbacks. Her mother pawned when she was a child because she was trying to, you know, she was struggling to pay rent, struggling to pay for for her kids to eat, stuff like that, and. The pawn shop guy only gave her a couple hundred dollars, saying it was a fake, and you know the the, the raw stones in it are worth a little bit, but it's nothing super valuable. Yeah. And then uh, now she found out that it's for sale at this mega auction. Yeah, know. big museum in Gotham's mm-hmm. auction off, and she's like, "That prick took advantage of my mother." Yeah. Uh, but there's I'm... some twists and turns, and you know. Yeah. Uh, Although I do like how she does the whole OJ defense of "I'm just stealing my stuff back," you know. So, um. I, I did like that little tag. Well, that's kind of her logic, yeah. She, she's, yeah. she, you know, the first half of the issue, because it was a 70-page issue, the, the first half mm-hmm. of it is like, uh, you know, the heist itself, her sneaking mm-hmm. in, getting some of the backstory with the flashbacks, her, you know, making some costume changes, pretending to be a waiter, and the catering staff, stuff like that. Um, and a very, obviously, important conversation with an old woman uh, about the brooch that she's stealing. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the big twist and turns from the issue is that it turns out that it is still a fake and that this woman uh, is actually like this con artist who sells fake things to museums and auction houses. And, and she got Selena. So Selena goes in thinking that it's a fake or thinking that it's real, but, you know, being told that it was a fake by this pawn shop guy to talking to this lady. And then Selena's eyes light up going like, oh, my God, if we can finally benefit from this thing to then finding out that it's fake and that she's been conned. And what I love about Selena in this issue is the fact that this lady conned her now becomes an obsession for her, you know, because no one cons Selena Kyle. Yeah, it becomes yeah. about hunting her down uh, mm-hmm. and, and dealing with it, which has its own twists and turns because when she finally confronts her and fights her and turns out this old woman's actually quite strong, uh, she basically challenges what Selena's even mad about and what she's fighting mm-hmm. for. Uh, like, you know, does the value of this item like go down because you thought it was worth something and now it isn't, even though before for a long time you thought it was worthless anyway? Like, you know, like what are you actually mad about here? And what the story is really about is Selena trying to like connect with her sister. Like, because when she yep. first steals it and she phones her sister and says, Hey, I found this brooch, I got it back. Her sister's like, But why? Who cares? It was worthless. Right. You know, mom's dead. She's not going to care about it now. <laughs> like, you know, she doesn't quite understand. Mm-hmm. And the story ends with her, you know, calling her sister. And it's about mm-hmm. that. That's what it's really about. It's like, what, yeah. what's really eating that Selena? It's not the, the brooch itself. It's the fact no. that she wants to bond with her sister. Uh, Batman's inclusion in this is pretty small. You know, obviously he shows yeah. up to offer some exposition. Um, he fills us in on what this woman's been up to. Uh, has a bit of a kissy-kissy moment with Selina. And, you know, I, I thought the conversations between them were well-handled. It felt very, you know, yeah. classic Catwoman and Batman. But uh, this is a Selina story. In the same way that, you know, the Penguin story was mm-hmm. a Penguin story, you know. Because I feel like a lot of them have still been Batman stories where the villain's mm-hmm. the villain. 
this, like the Penguin story, was more... No, this was just Selena's issue. Yeah. And it was her story, uh, which, which is fine, but, you know. It's... Yeah. And I like... And I wish, you know, in, like... Like, to do a Catwoman movie that, you know, wouldn't involve too much Batman, I feel like a heist movie in this vein, where we're following her trying to recover something that she's already familiar with, mm-hmm. you know? I like that story a lot. Like, it's really... You know, plus, I'm just a sucker for heist. I have not seen so, it, Matt, but I'm pretty sure the Halle yeah. Berry Catwoman movie does not have any Batman in it. So that, you must love that. I've never seen it. But so, you should watch yeah. it, because it's a Catwoman movie with no Batman, which is your criteria yeah. for a good Catwoman movie, so... Well, no, no, just what I mean is, is like... <laughs> what I mean is, it, I, I don't need it dependent on Batman being in there. I feel like Catwoman's one of the few... Batman rogues characters that could carry like we got a Joker movie with no Batman, right? To tell me that you can't can't do, you know, a Selena Kyle movie where she's she's doing a heist and Batman shows up, you know, trying to be like, oh, kind of like he does here. Yeah, to be fair like, though, is- some of us would argue that the that that Joker movie without a Batman did not work and should not have yeah. been made the way it was. But you know, that's- yeah. I'm just saying, like, I feel like she's one of the characters that could carry it and i feel like if you do this version of her you know the the cat thief version of her do it oceans 11 kind of style you know follow her planning like here i feel like g willow wilson has the blueprint because i i thoroughly enjoyed this like this is the most i've enjoyed catwoman and you know ever since ram b has started because his was real strong but i think her voice for selena was super strong uh McKelvey's art is top notch like i'm i'm okay with it taking, like, what, an extra couple weeks to come out? Because... The art is very good, although I will argue, I, I will mm-hmm. I will ha- have one negative point here. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's suited for Batman. I think no. he's, he's too clean for Batman. Yes, the Batman was way too clean. It felt like... It felt like... I don't want to say fan art, but, you know, like, when someone does, like, a super sleek version mm. of Batman and, like, oh, yeah, this would be cool, it did not work. Yeah, um, too too clean, too smooth. It was fine uh-huh. for Catwoman, but it was just Catwoman oh. doing her high stuff. And yeah. when Batman showed up and went, oh, this doesn't feel right. He looks mm-hmm. too, I don't know, yeah. pristine. It just feels mm-hmm. off. The suit feels brand new from the cleaners. Yeah, it needs to be a bit yeah. grittier for, for, yeah. for Batman, which, yeah. you know, it, it's fine. It's not a big deal in this issue because he's, no. he's a small part of it. But No, but the art, too, with the breakdowns and the way the action's done, like the scene on the rooftop that starts with the two guards mm. and they're they're talking about all the stuff that's going on. And they're like, oh, what's that? And then you turn the page and we get one of those, you know, usually you see it in Flash to just show how fast he's moving. But, you know, it's like a double page spread. Um, I feel like we get, we've been getting a lot of Nightwing recently. Is this and Nightwing of, as well. Yeah. yeah, right? You know, multiple Selenas and you can track her on the one page, you know, uh, make her way across. And I just think the action flows really well. Um, and, and all throughout, even the fight scenes against the... the um, which we never got a name for the curator woman, right? Um, like, so, the I mean, fight we, scene with her, too, was pretty well, good. We hear, like, one or two of her aliases, but we never get, yeah. like, a... Yeah. Like, I, I think she said she can call me the forger, I think, by the, the end. The forger, okay. Yeah, so I don't so, know if yeah. Maybe that will stick, maybe it won't, if she ever comes back again, yeah. but... But, like, the forger lady, I think that fight scene was really good, too, because it shows that Selena's kind of out of her depth. And she's also emotionally vulnerable now, because, you know, she's she's felt... You know, she was taken advantage of. I think what I like the most about this is that it kind of kept this sense of like cheeky fun of Mm -hmm. like Selena's personality. So, so the first half of it actually felt mostly quite, uh, 
you know, quite, quite, just, just, you know, like hard, hard breaking in, changing costumes, but mm. sort, of, sort of tricking the various people along the way to get into the, the brooch and getting <laughs> out. All, all, all of those bits felt quite fun and quite bubbly. And I, I think that actually lent itself quite a bit to mm. giving it a different tone to what I like to say about the Ram V yeah. stuff, which was more of a gritty crime thing. Um, right. You know, it's funny because you say this is the, the most you've enjoyed Catwoman since Ram V, but I'm like, we're still on that run that replaced Ram V, so I wouldn't say it's been that long. I, well, I, don't, I don't think we've been devoid of good Catwoman for that long. It's just that no, we don't like but, the current run. No, I'm just saying, like, because Catwoman's not a character that I, I tend to go towards, right? The reason I, I got caught back up is because you and Connor were both talking about how good the Ram V one was. But up till then, I really can't tell you, like, a Catwoman story that sticks out in my brain that I've read. And granted, I still haven't really read the Brubaker run, Black Mask and all that. So, um, but when she has showed up, you know, in Batman or in other stuff, you know, um, but I, I like, uh, Wilson's characterization of Selena here, like you're saying the bubbliness, it really comes through. Um, and it is so much different than Ram V's. Like you're saying that that was a gritty crime thing. So her, that characterization fit that where she's trying to do the, the, the mob, not, not quite a mob boss. But she's trying to get control of that part of town. And in here, she's just doing a heist. Um, and, like, the scene with her going in and, uh, and getting the uh, costume on, the, the the waiters, where the guy chases her and she ducks into the, the thing and then pops back out. Just, like, to me, it was the right amount of light, like, comedic touch for a story like this. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a, a comedic hand, sort of, like, mm-hmm. over all of it, even when... It, and it, it's not to say it doesn't have some dramatic weight, because by the yeah. end, when you realise it's just about her and her sister, and that's why she was trying to steal it in the mm-hmm. first place, that's yeah. got some weight to it. It does kind of... You get a good character arc out of it, but it never... Mm-hmm. It always has this sort of later touch to it. I think Wilson is a really good writer and had a really good, strong handle on uh this like i mm-hmm. i definitely felt a little bit of that that fun miss marvel coming out of her in this mm-hmm. uh this issue uh okay you know just yeah, yeah. i'll have to believe because i still haven't read a lot of wilson's marvel work so. well and, and miss marvel it was often she's a teenager she's going to sneak out of the house to go do right. some superhero stuff that she's not really meant to be doing because she's a teenager but right uh, whereas here it's like you know silliness Got off to do a heist. <laughs> She's going right. to go steal something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I feel like we always say this when it comes to Wilson is like the the one Roman stuff is, you know, we went with an open mind and we thought it was really good. And I'm trying to think of some of the other books recently Wilson's popped up on. And we always seem to enjoy it for the most part. So oh, she's very I good. just wonder why she's not doing an ongoing more at DC. Like what else is, is going on? Uh, you know? I, I don't know what else she's been. I mean, she may be working on some non-comic book stuff. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. So, but you know, I, I really enjoyed this and especially coming off of the Bane one, which I felt like, which while good, it just, I felt the length of that. This I read through fairly quickly. Like it was like a, even it's an 80 page book, kind of like a light airy read, which is weird, but, um, you know, I didn't have to break it up in installments like I have in some of these other one bad days. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I thought it was quite a pleasant, quick read as well for you know for the page size, you know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember getting about halfway through, and I had to put it down to do something, and I look, I'm like, oh, I still have half of this back, and it wasn't like, oh, I still have half of this. I was like, oh, I get to return to to this, so, uh, which is always always a good sign when you're reading a comic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, it's good stuff. What are you giving one bad day, Catwoman? 
Uh, I'm going to give this an 8.5. Uh, yeah, I'll just go straight eight, I think, for me. But it was it was a really good time. Uh, and you know, any, any more Wilson on DC I can get, I'll uh, I'll take happily. So, Detective Comics one thousand sixty eight Ram V writing with Ivan Reese on the art, and this is a story told from a uh, Two Faces perspective. Well, I should be more specific because it's both Harvey and Two Faces separate entities, yes. sort of, with the dual narration happening where there's uh, you know, like. Two-Face is saying, let me take over, because this, you know, thing, this demon that they have tied to you, yeah, only, it's, only, it's only tied to Harvey Dent. It's not tied to Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you want, I can help Batman, because Batman's getting his ass kicked. But but you gotta tell me who Batman is. Yes. And that's where the crux out comes from, which, this is a continuation from that, that backup with Harvey uh, and Two-Face, and how Two-Face was trying to remind him, like, you know, I'm the one that's always been there for you, that when time gets tough, I'm I'm the the part that you tap into. So I do like how this you know um, complemented that story really well uh, here. So also, didn't Albuquerque do some of the art in this too? So I saw I thought I saw his name uh, in the, the credits. Let me go back. Uh, no, you are right. Yeah, it wasn't okay. listed on Leo Comic Geeks. Yeah, fair enough. Gotcha. But yeah, I just remember seeing the name because there are parts of the art in here. That feel a lot more um, Albuquerque versus the clean Ivan Reese, you know. Um, I'm looking at the the page where uh, he's flipping the coin, and I'm like, oh, that's Albuquerque to a T. Yeah, so, yeah. But but I feel like the art's balanced pretty well. Like I'm sure there was some fill-in stuff going on, maybe for timing, but it never. I never feel like the art change gets in the way here. Um. Yeah, uh, so one well, some of the things that are going on here is that the the family, the Arzen family, is they're they're like taking in like homeless people and poor people mm-hmm. and t- turning them into soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, and noticeably, you know, they're not like giving them a choice here. Like some of them are crying; they've been held at gunpoint. Yeah. Harvey's watching this, so they're they're really starting to like be malicious in what they're how they're going to take over the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Batman comes in and ends up fighting uh, the werewolf, um, and then also uh, whatever the one's called. I'm forgetting all the names <laughs> again. I forget the names too, but he has the multiple arms. Yeah, and then um, eventually the one that's got a so a wolf eyes. or horse mask. That's I think the wolf mask. I think that's him because, like, look. I understand how people could call me out on normally I wouldn't like this, but as a fan of werewolf stuff, the fact that Batman knows he's coming up against a werewolf, right? Like he's already fought mm-hmm. this dude. So what does he do? He brings in a silver line or a silver incorporated suit in order to deal with him. And so I believe, you know how they all wear those masks. Yeah. I believe that's his mask that he wears for the transformation. Ah, so that's just um, the werewolf and his human form. I believe it's... Okay, okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that's him. So, um... But yeah, I I thoroughly love that, where Batman's just like, yeah, no, I came prepared this time. Uh, I mean, yeah, this doesn't feel cheap at all to me, because he's already fought him once. Like, th- this mm-hmm. is... You know, if this was round one, and he's like, oh, I've got yeah. silver in my suit in case yeah. I fight a werewolf, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. come on now. But no, yeah. he knows he's fighting a werewolf. So, yeah, that's fair I, game. I, I love it. I love that Batman understands the, the myths and stuff of, you know, monster lore. But now, how do you fight the guy with six arms? I, I don't know. Like, that that's a whole other thing. Get uh, yeah. some Doc Ock 
steel extra arms. <laughs> I mean, there, there's that or a chainsaw, right? You know, we, we do some yeah. uh, Ashram Evil Dead. But they, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of win. Like they get Batman down, mm-hmm. and they're going to tie, uh, you know, the demon to to Batman and take control mm-hmm. of Batman as well. And this is this is where Harvey and Two Face are. They've got the dual narration and like you know, oh, you know let, let us take control, let us help him, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. So yeah, uh, so of course Two Face comes out and uh, well, yeah, well, first of course he tosses a coin to decide because of course it's Two Face, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and that's a great page as well. Um, and you get all these like quick little flashback panels of like Two Face at his worst, where he's maybe considering committing suicide. You know, he's looking at his his a photo of his wife and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, he's in prison you know all all these sort of moments from the past uh and then the coin lands and sure enough he comes out and uh rescues batman it's funny that this is the second time in this arc that batman's been sort of rescued mm-hmm. when he's been left for dead you know the first time by mm-hmm. gordon this time by two-face uh it's really interesting but yeah. uh yeah the city's in chaos there's yeah. fires everywhere they're kidnapping people to try to build an army out of them and uh What's interesting is the end of this actually ties in a little bit to that miniseries that we read mm-hmm. not too long ago um, with uh, the, the, the Ten-Eyed Man and Dr. Yeah. Joy. The the um, Arkham one. Uh, what was that called? It was the Dan Waters book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can't remember the name either, which is why I I'm can't just... remember. I just remember it was Arkham City something. Arkham City. Yeah. Yeah, man. I got to the Ten-Eyed Man and I was like, oh, man. This is cool. Yeah, because Dr. Joyce was the doctor in that who was yeah. helping the Ten-Eyed Man and who, was ki- who, who was, ki- was kind of off a little bit by the end. Kind of off, but you, you understood why? Because Ten-Eyed Man said he can do all this weird stuff and then he does it and you're just like, oh, okay, well, he's not just a, a, a psychopath guy, you know? Like, he knows dark magic things. Um, so just the idea of, of Harvey and the Ten-Eyed Man together, yeah. uh, I'm excited to see what Ram B does. Yeah, it's very interesting that it's uh, tying into that. I was not expecting that stuff to come back up in a mainline Batman book. Yeah. But here we are. Maybe this is why it's selling less, because it is a bit weirder. <laughs> People, yeah. It's not appealing to and, everyone. And I feel that's why I love it so much, um, because <laughs> it's Ram V, like, and on top of it, too, like, when you said this is the second time that he's that Batman's being saved by somebody, um, I also feel like this is... Gotham, you know, trying to protect itself from these interlopers, from the Orgums. Yeah, right. Because first is Gordon, who makes a lot of sense. Well, of course he'd mm-hmm. save Batman, but now you've got Two Face saving Batman. It's the idea right. that Gotham as a whole, and it wouldn't surprise me if we get a third example where it's someone even more extreme. Like I don't know, not not Joker. Joker's maybe a bit too no. extreme, but like I don't know, like Croc. Croc saves Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but and then when you think too that it's Gordon, right, and it's and it's Dent. That that's the year one team, right? Like, well, you're thinking you know, long Halloween, long Halloween team. I mean, thank you. Yeah. Um, that that's those guys. Which you know, and there is a reference to you know, uh, believe in Harvey Dent as uttered uh, yep. in this book. So like, you know, those were the protectors of Gotham at that time. Um, and just so you know, so Harvey giving into Two Face here is a full trust on that. And I also like here props to the letterer that the we've had very distinct narration bubbles or blocks from harvey and from Mm two-face and then when we get the two-face in control of harvey it's the lettering from the two-face in the boxes for for harvey yeah on top of that obviously you also have batman Mm -hmm. narration a couple of times and you also have narration from like the 
the demon, the, you know, that that's going mm-hmm. to bond with them. You get a little bit of that the barbatos, if you will. That, that's yeah. you know, so you, you've got so this idea that uh, you know Harvey giving in to Two Face and the idea that Gotham will have to turn to all of its like weirder elements to fight off this infection that is this family that's trying to invade it is a very interesting thematic uh, touch, which is mm-hmm. which is which is cool to see unfold. Um, yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, I, is this Doctor Joy and Ten Iron Man stuff going to going to work out? I don't know, but I'm definitely intrigued to see what he does with it. Yeah. So uh, that was Arkham City: The Order of the World. Ah, that's what the name of it was. Um, and so Ten Iron Man. So I thought that was a new creation, but no, man. Ten Iron Man goes all the way back to the '70s. Well, I think we knew that. I think we checked that uh, at the time. I, I don't think I was here uh, for that discussion because this was new to me. But his first appearance was in Batman Two Twenty Six. So. Um, I don't think we talked much about it, but I think we checked yeah. and see, saw that he was, you know, he's not a new char- character. That the, sure. probably all the characters in it were taken from something, you know, from before. Yeah. But, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I like, I like what you're saying about the, the, you know, Gotham has to lean into its weirder elements. Because remember, this is still a city where a man dresses as a bat to fight crime. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they're going to have to. Um but yeah, just the the whole stuff with Harvey and Two Face, and we get those split pages of of him, you know, having a discussion with himself, and then with Batman and, and Barbados, you know, and just, so it's just it's playing on the same kind of themes of not giving into the darkness or when you need to give into the darkness, right? To do what needs to be done, um, yeah. And again, and I feel that that's kind of one of the things Ram V seems to be very interested in. Because those are also some of the themes that are in Swamp Thing and Catwoman and all these other things. Like he has this, he has this style when it comes to, you know, like uh, interpersonal, not interpersonal conflict, but inner inner conflict, right? Trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing or because you feel like it is. Um, and I feel like Harvey Dent's the perfect person for that. And then you add Ten Eyed Man to it. Oof, it's getting crazy. Like yeah. That guy has like each of those personalities times ten. So, yeah, I mean, almost like did Ram V, you know, read that other mini and say, "I'm going to incorporate some of this into this," or was yeah. that always kind of like planted yeah. because like there was going to be something done oh. with them later? Uh, it's hard to tell, to be honest. So I wish Connor was here, which you know that may be the first time that was said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. he he's a big Dan Waters fan, so I wonder if Dan Waters and Ram V come from the same circles. So like uh, maybe, maybe they're buddy buddy. And, you know, as Waters was putting together that, he was telling Ram V about it. Ram V goes, oh, Ten-Eyed Man. Oh, I could use that down the line somewhere. You know, uh, one, yeah, of, one of those types. So, yeah, uh, yeah no. Yeah, and the art is, uh, fits the book. It is a little mm-hmm. bit, I don't know, it is a little bit in the messy side at times. It's quite mm-hmm. scratchy. It's, it's going for kind of a vibe, which I can appreciate. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we do have two artists, and it does kind of, you know, get in the, the messier side at times. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we given a because neither of us read the backup, so uh, no, I I tried and then it started to get onto the Gordon stuff that I did not read with the kid, mm. and I was half asleep on top of it and nothing was sticking, so I was like, I'm just gonna skip this. Maybe Pete read it, but he didn't. So I've, I've um, read I'm, the backups to this in ages, so no, <laughs> no. But I thought maybe you jump back in because you had read the the Gordon stuff, right? I did. Yeah, I read did the first. Stop? No, I read the first arc of that. Yeah, oh, okay. But I mean, yeah. yeah. So, gotcha. Uh, I'm gonna you... give I'm gonna give in Detective Comics an eight. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, I'll also give it an 8. Like, I really like what it's doing. Uh, but, you know, some of the art being a bit messier. Uh, you know, keeping it sort of at the 8 level, not going any, any higher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, cool. Alright, Action Comics 1051, Philip K. Johnson writing with Rafa Sandoval on the art, uh, on the main story anyway, there's two backups, but mm-hmm. we'll get to those uh, later. So, yeah, uh, this is kind of the, the next chapter in Superman, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the Steels, I suppose I'll call them, the Irons, yeah. uh, are, are opening a new, a new tower that's about engineering and technology and there's obviously sabotage from Metallo in this issue. But there's a lot of character stuff here as well. It's mm-hmm. largely about kind of like the, the, you know, Clark and Lois officially saying, hey, we're adopting these these two kids, these Thelosians, mm-hmm. um, the super twins that they're being dubbed. So I guess we've got a handy name for them now. That, yeah, I love that. Just because, you know, the whole Wonder Twins type thing, right? But then you had super to it. Um, it's, just, it's just a nice call, callback, a little Silver Agey. So. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, and there's some nice atmospheric stuff at the start, talking about how the world changed or Metropolis changed after Superman sort of first mm-hmm. appeared, and how it feels that we're kind of on the brink of a turning point again. Yeah, so in these couple books, there's a lot of references to to Doomsday, and I wonder if that's because it was the 30th anniversary, and it was high on some of these creators' minds. I mean, with Jurgens, it's a little bit different because of you know he, that was his event, right? But there's some stuff in the Lazarus Planet book. There's some stuff in this one with the backup. Um, that I'm just wondering, like, I don't think it's a signifier of anything. But is it? do you think it's just because of the 30 years since then? And we're, we're starting to, you know, like, not celebrate that, but, you know, just pay homage to it, I guess? I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean... Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Jurgens is more tied to that era, mm. so that's why he's using a Doomsday thing in the backup. Yeah. Right. Uh, the the stuff in the the other book we'll get to, but I, yeah. I, I don't know if anything's going to come of it. Just thought it was weird that they both came out on the same week, and it, you know I read them back to back, read those things anyways. So, um, but yeah, the character stuff I liked here, right, was they're all sitting around the the Kent's apartment, right, um, and I had to be re- reminded that people. Now they don't remember, thanks to Lex. They don't remember that Clark is Superman. Um, and uh, but so they're all they're all sitting around, and Connor and Keenan are playing video games, and there's a language barrier, um, and it just it added to some real fun little moments that uh, I enjoyed. Keenan not Keenan almost acting like he doesn't know what's going on, and doing the whole bait and switch and beating Connor at the game. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of the interpersonal dynamics going on within the super family were kind of, for the first time, it feels like Superman has a pretty solid supporting cast that's not, you know, the Daily Planet. That it is the super, they actually feel like a family, which up to this point, it's been very fragmented. And I know Bendis did things with the super family, but it didn't feel this way, you know? Yeah, and um, we also find out that Lois really likes Superman's War World outfit. <laughs> Poor John. Poor John. <laughs> what's what's so funny is I wouldn't have even thought that was a dirty thing, except for the uh, way that Lois reacts to him seeing it in the yep. closet. And mm-hmm. It's very clearly, oh no, this was kept for kinky stuff. Yep. Um, you know, and John's just really <laughs> embarrassed. I would have just been like, well, he just still has his suit from War World. What's yeah. the big deal? <laughs> like, he's, you know... He's gonna put it in a in a glass case like Batman does with stuff. Uh, 
but yeah, no, Lois, Lois closing the door. That, that was great art on Sandoval uh, there. Also, the idea that the Steelworks Tower is going to be like a foot taller than Lex Core Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that just cracked me up. Uh, and Lex isn't going to be able to have that, right? Like, you know, just for that personal slide, he's going to have it blown up. But on the art there, when Lois shuts the, uh, the closet door, Mm-hmm. It's drawn like she's got a super speed, like that. That yeah. I mean, obviously she doesn't really, but yeah. that, that, that's to add to the joke that she moved over yeah. so quickly to shut the yeah. door. Uh, yeah. You got all the speed lines and stuff. Uh, so that's fun stuff. So yeah, they announced that these kids are uh, being taken in and adopted. Uh, Kara gives them their their new uh, House of L suits. suits. Yeah. Uh, John seems a little miffed, uh, and y- you can kind of understand why, because in a weird way. These kids are kind of picking off where he was sort of robbed of his childhood with his parents, mm-hmm. and then he came back later. So, yeah. I, and, and I feel Taylor's going to use that and explore that in the mini that we're getting, because, you know, we're going we're gonna to tie up those Ultraman threads with, uh, with Valzad and sure, all that yeah, type yeah. of stuff, right? But I do like it here because he is a little bit slighted by that. He didn't get his childhood. And not that I ever feel like like Lois and Clark would ever be like, oh, we get to be parents again. But you feel that there's a joy to having these kids in the house. And I I almost, if John wasn't upset, it would feel weird, I feel. You know, and just the version that, that we've gotten over the last year or so. You know, he's very a cerebral character at this point. And we get, you know, we know what his inner feelings and stuff are. So I do like that Johnson took the time and took that beat to make us think about that. Yeah. Um, so obviously we have Metallo sabotaging the uh, the, the mm-hmm. thing, and Lex is still talking in his head. And Metallo is you know, there's a moment where like, a kid's scared of him. The kid can tell his face mm-hmm. is like slightly off, like there's something not quite right about him. I love Metallo when he's talking to Lex. He goes, "The face isn't right." And for whatever reason, that sentence cracked me up. Um, also, the you know what, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? how he the the obligation from metallo because he wants his sister's safety i really like that that layer to him because it's not a maniacal villain thing right he's not just the robot with the kryptonite heart there's a begrudgingness to him now um that i i feel is is going to be key to the character going forward yeah because I mean, this building is not lasting long, though, because when he blows it up, uh, they all talk about how it's all going to fall down, and the supers all just... Yeah. Ha- they all just have to work together to basically stop it from uh-huh. like, crushing people and make sure no right. one gets hurt. But the building's already gone, and so yeah. Lex couldn't even let it get open. Like, it's literally the opening ceremony, yeah. and the thing's coming down. So, uh, so, so its reign as the tallest builder in Metropolis lasted about five minutes. Yep. Uh, so... You know, obviously there's some nice pages here of action and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big cliffhanger is that Connor was the one who sort of first saw Metallo, and the ending is Metallo with all his clothes burned off, kind of holding Connor. Because uh, Connor, of course, is a bit of a chump and couldn't handle himself against Metallo. Hey, now. Also, though, <laughs> I, I do have a question about that with his half-Kryptonian physiology, right? The mm-hmm. Kryptonite shouldn't affect him as, as hard, right? So you're thinking he took a beating from Metallo. So... Yeah, because I, I, I also to take that though is that he's also not as invulnerable as like the others yeah. are. So I think mm-hmm. he can be beat up by someone who's relatively that's, strong. Was my assumption, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that like he it wasn't just the kryptonite that did him in. Is that he did fight with him? And they went a couple rounds. And that's what led to the explosion and whatever. That's just my head cannon. Um, well, and, I think the explosion was going to happen either way. I think that's what he was there yeah. to do. But right, 
Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, but he, uh, you know, he, he took a, a beating and, you know, that, that gave the super family enough time to react to things. And, you know, Connor played his part. Right. Yeah. So we, so we kind of end in the midst of the, the action, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gives us a cliffhanger. Uh, the issue spends time building. Um, the action at the end is fine, and yeah. it looks quite good art-wise. But uh, for me, it was the the family stuff and like the the setting up of the adoption, and just the idea that Keenan's hanging out with the family is kind of just a fun, different vibe to get because he's mm-hmm. been kind of separate since his creation. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Uh, that no, I think Kara is the one that speaks Mandarin, right? Which mm-hmm. ties into the monkey print stuff and the devil Naza and all of that type of thing. I do like that. It feels like there's a synergy there. Um, yeah. I will say yeah. I'm not in love with Kara's new outfit I kind of am like why can't she just mm-hmm. look like Supergirl still yeah <laughs> it's like for some reason like they want all the the two new kids and some of the other characters to all have these sort of matching looking outfits yeah. uh, e- even John seems to have a new outfit that's kind of yeah. more like theirs and I'm like no I just let Supergirl and John look like they did like but, even know. if it, this is just about getting Supergirl out of the skirt look there, there's a way to do her the jacket. You still have her, you know, have the, the blue, the color yeah. scheme without. Yeah, just have her be. Yeah, have blue pants instead of. Right, just just yeah. let her roll with the blue, kind of like Clark, right? Because because to me, it's her and John are the the Robin and Batgirl, you know, and not just because of their their roles there, right? Um, but I I, I feel like, you know, Kara Kara should be dressed more similar to Clark, you know. Um, and and not in that weird jacket, which it's not bad. It's just the color scheme is. I just I like her in a cape. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I want, yeah. I want, I want the red cape. Um, yeah. and the simple blue top because you know, like I mean, the new outfit's not like purely designed. It's just a little bit busier no. than I would like. Yeah, uh, I, I do like that Connor has kept his leather jacket look there to distinguish him from from John in in that suit, right? Because they're they're kind of similar, so. That's there, and uh, Keenan has the zip up on his his logo still, his same one, but he has that kind of cool zip up biker jacket. Yeah, um, yeah. I just so. like yeah. He can still have his cape. For some reason, they seem to have taken the capes off of everyone except yeah. Superman. Like Superman yeah. is the only one who's allowed to have a cape now for some reason, and I don't understand. Yeah, why. I don't like that. I don't like uh, that. Yeah, like Keenan, John, and Kara should all have their capes. And I would argue that Steel. At least one of them should have a cape. I don't remember. Because Natasha doesn't, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I have to say, I do actually kind of like that hoodie she's wearing over her steel yeah. suit. I, I don't know why, but I think that does actually but, give her a little bit. It breaks up the, just the monotony of the, the steel of yeah. it. But if if that's the case, then then John Henry should definitely have his cape. Yeah. Right? We should get the traditional Death of Superman looking steel. Yeah. I, I like that look a lot. We don't so. see him suited up in this issue, though. So no. I don't know if, no. if they're giving them a cape or that- not. That said, him in the suit was giving me uh, animated Luther vibes, you know? And I don't know if that was on purpose, but I realized I'd never really seen John Henry Irons in a suit. Oh, yeah. You know? have done some parallels where he's, he's kind of yeah. like, yeah, he's, he's got a bit of a Lex vibe. Yeah. And so he's like the, the, the good version. He's the, the, you know, yeah, the, the lawful good Lex Luthor. I mean, really what you're saying is he was a bald guy in a suit. <laughs> yeah, but just his whole vibe of it, you know, the, his building and his presentation. And you, I forget that Steelworks is a company, right? Cause to me, he's the scientist type. He's kind of the, I don't want to say Lucius, right? Cause he's not an inventor that way, but he, he has a, you know, he's a mainly just scientist. And I forget that Steelworks is a business. 
And, you know, so him suiting up in, in the, you know, traditional business suit, mm. I can't remember seeing in a very, you know, if at all. So, well, uh, moving out of the backup, uh, or the first of two backups, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Dan Jurgens one uh, with Lee Weeks on art. This is the young John mm-hmm. Kent. This is the sequel to Superman mm-hmm. and Lois. And uh, it turns out, apparently, there was a story in that 30th anniversary yep. special that kind of set up a couple of things, which we did not read, so... Nope. Uh, and did it make me want to go back and read it? A little bit. Well, I? I have no time, so no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, the family with young John uh, flying, or, or flying, or moving to uh, the farmhouse in California, mm-hmm. and... And there's even like a little joke here about how he's got the black suit on because Lois likes that. There's a, there's a few jokes in this book about Lois liking certain outfits on Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so what we find out is that uh, whilst this, whatever was going on the 30th anniversary special, where there was this like sort of doomsday-esque like homage. Doombreaker. Doombreaker, yes. Yeah. Uh, but there is like an artifact, like a bone from the original doomsday that was sort of lost in the battle and everyone doesn't know where it is. And the reveal in the issue is that our sly little John Kent stole it and has it in his room. Uh, so, you know, we get some of the family but, bonding stuff, but John yeah. flies off with this uh, at the end of the issue. And uh, basically, just, it just reveals that he has it more than anything, and that this is probably going to lead to trouble. But then the cliffhanger, which is separate of this, is that someone arrives in a spaceship. Some uh, Someone crashes. Some, some lady, yeah. Yeah, some lady. Uh, and I presume she's speaking Kryptonian with that speech mm-hmm. bubble, but I I don't know. Um, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I do like the idea of John taking the 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 bone fragment as a way to keep his dad safe, right? Like as as a kid, it's his kid logic. Like, well, if I keep it here, then no one you know no one can use it against him, you know. And so I I did like that a little bit. I'm curious to see what Doombreaker is and how it's different than Doomsday. Um, so I'll be researching that just to see. So I don't know how long this is going to last, but this was called Lois and Clark 2. So, um... I presume at least, like, six or eight yeah, issues of backups. Six, yeah. yeah. So, um, definitely by the next issue, I'll, I'll get caught up on Doombreaker and see how much of a threat that it was. Yeah. I mean, so, my only, I, I have a small concern that this blonde woman at the end is supposed to be a retcon of how Kara arrived, which doesn't really make much sense mm-mm. to me, just given that that's a big change versus yeah. everything else. Um, there is kind of a reference here, though, that they're, they're living in the regular, or like the main earth here, because Lois says, or, or when John asks Clark about the black suit, he says it's time period appropriate, which suggests that this is them still having come from like an alternate earth and being yeah. like, oh or alternate timeline perhaps you might say and oh because the death of superman's happened or the, the doombreaker stuff happened recently like we we like this is mm-hmm. the correct outfit to be wearing because this is what superman was wearing at the time right uh at least that's how i read that exchange anyway so yeah. um yeah there's that i mean i feel like this doesn't have too much story in it but it does have a lot of setup which is more than i can say for some backups because i feel like okay set up these these yeah. key things they've just moved here it's set up that uh, he's got this doom, doomsday bone that's glowing. It almost looks like mm-hmm. one of the, the crystals that you have for the fortress, the way it's glowing. Well, yeah, which which goes with the idea that doomsday was a Kryptonian weapon. Yeah. You know? But uh, to me, it looks like it's one of those bony protrusions that come out, and it broke off in the fight with Clark. Yeah, it doesn't glow um, like that when he's attached to it, no. though. This is like a, a no. new thing that's glowing. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, the crash landing of the alien woman and the ship at the end. Uh 
which <laughs> if it's Kara, it makes no sense to me. Uh, but I'm right. only saying that because it's a blonde woman. But like, and not only does it make no sense in terms of like continuity right now, because I think the new Fifty Two version is still technically the the arrival of Kara. Mm-hmm. Um, just this demeanor when she gets out and yeah. says, "Take me to your king," just doesn't feel like her. So I don't think it is her. But um, no, I'm I'm just putting forth that in case it does end up being some weird retcon, then that I'm acknowledging that it could be. <laughs> Uh, so, I'm I'm not so sure, but I suspect that this uh, Doomsday Bone is going to be like, oh, this is like a, a magnet for trouble that's going to like all lead to John, and mm-hmm. he will learn some very valuable lessons about stealing, you know, dangerous parts of yes. Doomsday machines, basically. Um, and then I confess that I did not read the last backup because I took okay. one, I took one look at the first page and went, you know what? No, yeah. I'm good. I'm out. Yep. So this is a, a more of a continuation of that power girl and omen story that started off in lazarus um in in the lazarus planet special and yeah, last week yeah which i did not yeah. like but yeah. no so, so which is why i did not have any interest so I will, in this. i'm gonna give leah williams a lot of a lot of credit here in the type of story that she's going to try to tell in this backup and it's all about heroes navigating trauma so the main crux of this is Omen trying to teach um, Power Girl, Karen, how to navigate this psionic leak and her psychic abilities. And then they're going to use them to help some of these heroes or other people um, deal with their trauma. So in, in this, the first, their I, first I, person that... I did skim uh, ahead. I saw, I saw, I saw Beast yeah. Boy was in the last page yep. crying. So I'm assuming that's where that comes yeah. in. Yeah. So which I was getting a little bit of... Um, worry out of this because the last time we dealt with heroes and trauma was heroes in crisis and we don't like to talk about that <laughs> however as good as tom king is i i gotta do some research on on leah williams because as someone that spent time in therapy and whose whose sister-in-law is a therapist there is a lot of psychology lingo and you know personal work type stuff in here and I feel like in, in you know, this, the state of the world being what it is um, over the last couple of years with the pandemic and the loneliness and all this other stuff, I like that there's a spot for this in superhero comic books. And so I had never have picked Power Girl to be one of the people that or one of the characters for this, but partnering her with Omen and Omen saying that she, you know, when she's not a superhero, she's a psychologist, right? Um, so, you know, partnering them up, I think is, is pretty, you know, would have never have thought of that. Um, so that's nice. Um, but it, the whole crux of this is that ever since the end of dark crisis, Beast Boy joined the fight, but then became this little calf and Nightwing brings him to Omen and Power Girl. And was like, look, he won't transform back. He won't speak. He's just kind of stuck in this form. Can you help us? So in that, they have uh, Omen take the role of the therapist and then has Power Girl because she's, you know, I don't know if she's Kryptonian or whatever, whatever version they're going with here. But because she has, she's a bit more sturdier, she sends her psychically into Beast Boy's psyche to do a lot of like the field work, for lack of a better Mm. term. So she gets in there and it's just a mess. 
and it's it looks like the the you know Titan's Tower wreckage from Dark Crisis, and everything's bathed in red, and she ends up seeing um like these animals kind of swarming around and acting super defensive, and and Karen realizes that these this is this is Beast Boy's trauma. And her and Omen, you know, figure out that Garth never or Gar never had the time to process being shot in the face by Deathstroke. And because of that, it led him to recede into this baby cow form and, you know, kind of just not deal. It's almost like he's dis disassociating. And so when she gets in there, all these animals are kind of his defense mechanism. They're pieces of the red and the morphogenic field coming to protect him because he's almost in constant fight or flight. So Karen gets in there and she's dealing with like a grizzly bear and a saber tooth tiger and a pterodactyl at one point, a dragon. Um, she gets run down by a bull before she finds like Garth or Gar. I keep calling him Garth. Garth's Tempest. Um, Gar. Gar, Gar, yeah, it's Garfield. Um, finds Gar as a baby, and that's where she puts together that it's the Deathstroke stuff because he points to this big version uh, that's in the sky. And she comes across this tree, and this tree is just bound in ropes, and you know, and she realizes that his tie to the to the red is now broken because of this trauma. So Karen starts going and trying to free a lot of these. Um, a lot of these branches so he can get touched back in. And um, she's like, yeah, it's going to take me some time. We have to really decode all of this. And as, as she's doing that, this big, almost looks like a Kaiju, you know, um, comes to the field and it's, it's him with the iPad. It's Garfield. And um, when she looks back, the tree is all back now in full bloom, right? Which was his representation to the connection. And then, Omen pulls her out and um, Beast Boy is now back in his, you know, more traditional human form. And that's where he starts crying next to me, next to Nightwing. So if you can get past the art, I feel like it's a really nice read, especially if you are interested in like that. I don't want to say therapy type thing, but like the, the mental awareness of or uh, mental health type stuff, because I do feel like it's important now that, you know, yeah, for, with, for the record, actually, just because yeah. this is uh, Leo Williams, an art by Margaret yeah. Savage, and, Savage, and yeah. clearly I didn't get past the art because yes. I, I took one look at the page and yeah. went, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, but, no. yeah. So if you can get past the art with Savage, which I, I tend to like Savage's art more than that, but ever since you pointed out the dead eyes, now when I get to a page that has the dead eyes, <laughs> uh, it yeah. Um, and I will say, Leah Williams as a writer really has a you know the the voices down for at least I'm not that familiar with Omen, but a version of power girl that is kind of this, you know, she's kind of stubborn and she's willing just to keep pushing in order to get through. Um, there's a really funny scene between them where they're going to put their superhero costumes on and, you know, power girls has updated hers, but she still has the big chest window and Omen's like, you know, you can wear any costume you want. She's like, no, I like it. And, you know, she's like, it's like free air conditioning. You should try it sometime. She goes, no, I'm okay. And she's like, all right, well, you know, come talk to me when you're all sweaty later. And it was a really fun, like, let's poke fun at Kara, but, or at Karen, 
you know, it's just, I will say I appreciate that this is written by a woman because I feel like yep. any man writer trying to yep. crack jokes about this would make me mm-hmm. cringe. Well, but it feels very as someone that that's surrounded by a lot of women, right? My my wife's family is very close, and there's always times around them. It felt like a conversation between two actual women. It wasn't like oh sure this put upon thing where they were talking about. She's like, you know, you can cover up, you don't have to, but the fact that it's Karen choosing she's like no it's, it's kind of my look and i'm comfortable like this it just it lets you know that's the character that she is um and and yeah i, I <laughs> batman, and, batman has robin to distract the enemies karen star has cleavage <laughs> which i i will never forget the it was in jeff Loeb. uh i think it was in public enemies where um and batman superman where they needed to uh they need to distract toy man uh the the kid um What's his name? Hero? Is it Hero? And remember. they're like, Karen, you go do it. She's like, why? And then she looks down. She's like, oh, okay. You know, so for the longest time, Power Girl's chest has been her defining feature. So if we're going to get away from that and kind of poke fun at it, I, I'm all here for that. Because I think she's a character that no matter what they've tried to do with her, nothing has stuck. And I feel like here mm-hmm. making her like this co-therapist to the superheroes is this person that you know that will keep pushing to get through? Um, uh, I'm sure uh, she's probably still from another Earth, but here's yeah. a here's a pitch for a new version of her origin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll try this one by. Yeah. So you're in the movie Twins, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like they're kind of like you know they're, they're trying to make the perfect specimen, this perfect human, mm-hmm. and they had all these men submit their DNA, and they had a mother, right? And the twins weren't intended, like, you know, they got Arnold, mm-hmm. right? And this is the perfect specimen mm-hmm. that we're trying to create. And then the leftover genetic material was Diet Vito, and that's kind of the, the joke uh-huh. of the movie. Um, yeah. How about Karen Star, Power Girl, uh-huh. is the perfect specimen that was trying to be created. Uh-huh. Um, and then Connor Kent was the leftover genetic material, right? So they're both, like, clones just, that Lex was trying to make. That's just mean. <laughs> yeah. That said... Now when I read Connor Kent, I'm going to hear Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, funnily enough, you point that out, I finally started Always Sunny this week. Ah, there you go. Because me and my wife needed something light that we can just put on. I mean, he's every... not until season two, but yeah. Right, but we, we we got through season one, and we just started season two. The the <laughs> the episode where, where Charlie gets hit by the van and is in the wheelchair, and Frank takes him to the strip club, <laughs> and he keeps one upping him. I oh my god! I have not laughed that like that. Uh, very good, very good, very early. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I've, I have a whole other thirteen seasons to get through. So you know, um, obviously the humor and it's all often quite dark, and it, you know, yes. they'll they'll tackle subjects that like maybe you feel like you shouldn't be laughing at. But uh, yes. the one that got me quite early on uh-huh. was uh, the shows on the doll where you were touched, Charlie, <laughs> yeah. and the creepy uncle, like getting into it a bit too much yes i i that'll always stick with me i, I really need to yeah. get back i've seen like seven seasons of it's always sunny yeah. and there's like 15 of them now so i really need to go back and also when you refer to connor as an abortion survivor <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah that's when it's always sunny <laughs> and and i haven't i don't think i've gotten to that episode yet um but with charlie i just <laughs> I, I i told my wife i told ash about that and she goes and you guys laugh? That's kind of mean. I'm like, that's Connor. It's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, uh, 
this will this will cheer you up. So Charlie and the waitress, I believe, are married in real life. So yeah. if, you feel, if you feel bad that like you yes. want a pick me up, no, it's a real sweet story in real life. Yeah. It's just it's just well, in the and, show. And then and then Mac and D met on the show and got married. They did. Yes, um, they got kids now and everything. Yeah, because what made me start this is I'm like I've been putting it off. You know, you talk about it a lot, Connor and and my brother. My brother's been telling me to watch it for years now, but we watched the the soccer show when. Mac and Ryan Reynolds bought a team in uh, Wales, right? Wrexham. Mm. And she shows up. I did not realize they were married, right? So she shows up on an episode when they finally go. Uh, it's Ryan Reynolds and his wife, Blake Lively, and then those two. And they're in the owner's box, and they keep showing them on the TV. And um, that's basically the only part. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize that they were married and I did some research, found out that, yeah, they met through the show mm -hmm. and here they are. So, um, I was like, oh, I might as well get to there. So when, when you brought up Danny DeVito, now I'm going to hear Connor Kent <laughs> as Danny DeVito <laughs> takes that little, uh, power girl, uh, alternate history. Uh, no, DeVito's great on the show. I, uh, you're making me go back and like start watching I'm, that again. I can't wait. Cause I keep getting the gif of the trash man. Um, or, or she's in social media a lot, mm. just the, the sound. I'm trying to get to that episode so I have context for it. Um, oh, there's a tons of gifts that are used. Like, I, yeah. I like to use the anyways I started blasting when I'm talking about wrestling yeah. a lot. Uh, yeah. there's is that from the show? Yeah, that's from It's Always Sunny. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if that was a Danny DeVito on a talk show oh, doing no, a bit. Yeah, so... and my other favorite Danny DeVito one is uh, Can I offer you an egg in this trying time? <laughs> So, but yes. Um. So not to distract from the from the Leah Williams book yet. Or, or, <laughs> I, I I really I feel like it. Not that I don't like saying it's important because that makes it pretentious. But I'm glad that there's a space right now in a comic book for them to explore these mental health themes, um, and then using these type of characters on top of it, right? And Beast Boy being their first person, you know, after what we saw that he went through, um. As long as he doesn't, you know, decide to, to murder a bunch of people on accident, you know, because he can't deal with the trauma. Um, I, I think we're in good good hands. So mm. I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna keep reading this one. Like this was definitely I was like after the Lazarus Planet thing, I was kind of like I don't know if I want to read this. Um, this one made me made me a believer. Now I want to check out some of other some of the other Leah Williams uh, work that's out there. Okay. Well, all right, that's right, Action Comics 1051. And David, you are welcome for that big tangent you have to edit out. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what are you it? Um, I'm going to give Action Comics... Did I do 0.5? I'll just go, I'll just give it an 8. Yeah, uh, I, I'm also going to go to 8. It's my third date in a row. Yeah. I'm eight well, happy this about 7.5. But I liked it a little bit more. That last story really put it up over. So no, I mean I liked the main story. I, I liked the, yeah. the world building it was doing, the family mm -hmm. stuff, and I enjoyed the uh, the dragons backup uh, fairly well. And they both have good art. I think Sandoval's art yeah. was really strong throughout. Um, I would say I liked it more than the art and detective, uh, certainly. So yeah. um, yeah, no, it was very good. Um, you know, the action's in a really good, in good hands right now. I don't know if I'm mm -hmm. going to always be into the backups, but certainly yeah. I like the Dragons one this week, so... Uh, yeah. Alright, Lazarus Planet, We Were Once Gods, issue one. Obviously, there's a bunch of different creators because it's four short stories in this book. 
And obviously last week, none of us were really that enthused about the Lazarus Planet mm-hmm. special. And I said pretty much that I don't think I want to read any more of these. I'm only going to check out this next one yeah. because it's got creators on it and it's also following up the Shazam story. And it is Josie Campbell who writes that story, yeah. so I was curious. Uh... So, well, I do think this one's better than the one we got last week. Uh, I am definitely not reading any more of these. <laughs> <laughs> so I read the first two stories, ran out of time, so I can talk about those two. Sure. But I will say, instantly liked those first two stories. I thought they were more interesting than anything in the last one. I mean, uh, the first one, like, is interesting from a little bit of world building and just mm-hmm. the reveal. Because the, the, the first story is basically the reveal that the trench have been turned into mm-hmm. humans or Atlanteans, maybe. Like, yeah. They've been turned into humanoid looking people. So, which, and I didn't know this, and I thought I knew a lot about that side of the Aquaman universe, that they're part of the ancestral tree of the Atlanteans. So, like, somewhere, so they're not a separate species, right? Yeah. What, what, what that means is that somewhere in the past, uh, yeah. an Atlantean, you know. Yeah. Bocked a fish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. But. <laughs> I wasn't going to take it that way. I was going to take it as um, they went off into the trench. The Shape of War is a true story in the DC Universe. You know, I got to go back and rewatch Creature from the Black Lagoon because I didn't believe the the love story was that strong. I've been told I am wrong, and that's where Guillermo got inspiration from. So, uh, and now you're dropping the trench stuff on me. So now the Shape of Aquaman... Or the shape of aqua, whatever we're gonna call it. Is that an extra uh, fin, or are you just happy to see me? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like I'd always thought the trench were just like, you know, a separate species of underwater people, right? Not that they were along the, you know, in in the I don't say evolution, but in the line of the Atlanteans like Arthur, and maybe Arthur's just using that as a metaphor when he says, "I see them for what they are, our ancestors." Um. But yeah, I, I did like the pacing of that story. Manipul, right? So yeah, it's Francis it, Manipul, who's both right and are. And I, I think, you know, just to set up this, what this yes. story actually is, it's kind of this this family who lives by the beach who are attacked by what seems to be a human of some kind, but then, yep. you know, or, or sorry, a human washes up on shore. They bring him in, but then he starts acting out and attacking them. Yep. And the main crux of it is that the father of this family is very uh, xenophobic Macho. or... Uh-huh. Macho? What? I mean, I guess he is, but that's not the that's not the point. That's not the important part. No, but he's got like this toxic, like this is my house and this. Well, is... yeah, but yeah. The, the important part is that he's like effectively racist against superheroes yeah. and people with powers, and he's like, right. oh, this guy could be a dangerous. Like he could have superpowers. We should just ki- I should have just killed him on the beach when we had the chance, kind of thing. Or, or right? he's someone that needs help from a shipwreck, Dad. Like. You know? Yeah, that's a very valid yeah. point. But the yeah. I think the reason for that sent up with this lens of this character being this uh, uh prejudiced, you know, individual mm-hmm. is that the idea that Aquaman himself is going to have to try and accept that the trench may actually be mm-hmm. you know, capable of being learning human or not humans. Like it's in humans because it's just the word that I go right. to, but you know, uh, humanoid or Atlantean characters. Like the idea that they more, now have to be treated and sort of like taken care of and help to evolve into a, a more intelligent, uh, you know, because yeah. you know, this is the thing. Like we see that this this trench that's turned into a humanoid figure. Mm-hmm. There's, he's attacking the family kind of and the dad, but there's yeah. several moments where he kind of sees his reflection and kind of like pauses and reconsiders what he's doing. He's kind of confused. 
So yeah. it's this idea that this new evolution that's happened to them, they have to be nursed into their next stage, and that's something that Aquaman's going to have to deal with. Yeah. It's quite interesting. It's an interesting kind of, like, reveal to drop in this weird, like, short story in this special, because I feel like whatever this is going to continue on to next is, like, oh, this is going to be a big deal, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, though. Aquaman... Where's the beard? I don't approve of this freshly shaved Aquaman anymore. Yeah. No. I thought yeah, I thought we all agreed that hybrid that you know, the hybrid Peter David, you know, Captain Aquaman look well, with the, the, the they've kept the long tri- hair though. So yeah. it's especially weird. If you're gonna go no beard and have the short hair, but if you're gonna have you right. know the, the long hair, you needs to have the beard. He needs he needs the pirate look. He looks right? like you remember that time when Triple H like had the long uh-huh. hair but was shaving his face? It just looked uh-huh. weird. No. Or or he, or he's Jericho esque, like the Lionheart version of Jericho. <laughs> you know? It is that wavy like, blonde hair. It, it doesn't baby, match no. It looks baby faced. I like it. You know, hundred percent. Um but yeah, but also what I what I liked too in the art was that anytime the trench guy got into more of the primordial behavior, his face changed a little bit, right? In the art. Mm. To to show he's a little bit monstrous still. And uh, I got a little bit worried when he took the dog. I'm glad the dog's okay, you know, um, uh, you know. But but yeah, no, I I I like the story, and I wonder what's going on with Aquaman because like we don't have an ongoing Aquaman book right now, so you know, um, wonder if this is where those are gonna pick off, or if there's gonna be more Lazarus Planet things because that's it's also tied that somehow the volcano uh, affected the the trench they were living in. Yeah. Um, well, that's what yeah. reveals it because Aquaman references the trench, and you realize, yep. oh, that's what these these because he's got like more of them behind yep. him. And you're like, oh, that's what these yep. are. This is the trench they've transformed mm-hmm. because of the Lazarus rain. Uh, yep. It just says at the end to be continued in Dawn of DC, which could mean anywhere yep. basically coming up. Right. So we know it's right. going to come back up at some point, but nothing specific. Whereas some of them yep. have specific. Oh, it's mm-hmm. that mini series that's coming after the, you know these two months or right. whatever. This is more broad, so we'll see where mm-hmm. it pops up, but. Maybe this confirms there'll be more Aqua-related stuff to come. But uh, the second story, which is a Martian Manhunter story called Songs of Pain by Dan Waters with art by Max Dunbar. Um, mm-hmm. It has some stuff at the start and the end where he talks about how he looks at the the, the, the planet and yeah. he's almost, much like the ocean with the waves, he can see, see waves of, like, uh, emotion. He can see, like, you know, there's like a sort of, like, spread of happiness here, right. a spread of fear there things like that, and it's kind of beautiful to him, right? Which is kind of an interesting visual, it's an interesting idea to well, concoct. I, and I like that that's how he sees the world different than someone like Superman, because they compare that at the end, right? Mm. Where when Superman looks at the world, he almost sees like a, you know, the bigger picture, if you will, whereas John can kind of, can get more, you know, focused in, by watching these emotional uh, outbursts, and not outbursts, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, uh, but the the main part of the story, though, is that uh, one of the characters who's affected by the Lazarus Reigns, this guy in Metropolis, mm-hmm. who is effectively, he can take someone's, like, pain from them. Pain. So mm-hmm. so he's, and to be fair, like, we, we get introduced to him where he's already doing that. He's going around the hospital mm-hmm. and just taking pain from patients who are dying or who have bad illnesses. But it's becoming too much to handle. And Marsha Manhart comes down to get, comes down to try and help him. Uh, but the main conflict is that He's effectively absorbed some of the memory or the tragedy of Doomsday, and mm-hmm. he starts to kind of like Doomsday out, and then like uh, Jean tries to absorb it, and he starts to sort of turn into sort of a green version of Doomsday, 
and yeah. they sort of try to handle this and then the guy kind of takes it back because Jean uh, you know can't deal with it so we get this right. kind of big red doomsday looking interpretation and the guy's able to actually sort of like basically turn it into like a crystal like he sort of like yeah. condenses it into like a shape and it's just this sort of crystal that's this like memory of doomsday and it kind of Jean as he's narrating throughout this story explains that doomsday is such a strong idea that and mm-hmm. the whole the whole idea of doomsday that he, he would keep repairing and rebuilding from whatever happened to him so yep. that even now the 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 trauma and the memory of him could potentially become like i both kind of like this but also kind of yeah. dislike it in one way it feels like oh somehow well, it's another way of doomsday come back which i thought was a bit well, whatever it, well there's that but it also reminded me of morrison's super doom idea mm. right where it was this thing that once you you know at your most nihilistic and your most pure um metal what's the word i'm like cynical right that that is also a manifestation of doomsday right and so yeah so i like the idea because once water started getting into like the whole you know he tried doomsday tried to to hook into the the you know the red and that and that field but he couldn't gain foothold and this that and the other i was like okay we're not bringing back doomsday are we but then just the whole idea that the the memory of him in Metropolis, and he caused such a stir, and he, that he killed Superman. That's a big enough thing that it could, you know, make him manifest do, again. Do you, do you know what I think it is? I think I like the concept of this. I think it mm-hmm. just deserves to be told over a slower, more gradual yeah. build than just being condensed mm-hmm. into like a thirteen-page story. Sure. I, I think the way it evolves to where there's already like him taking it from his head and trying to fight it in yeah. his head. That, I feel like we get to that so quick that it kind of like almost makes you feel a bit too, yeah. not, not schlocky, but just too rushed and too, yeah, too much of sure. like a thrown out idea. Whereas yeah. if you build this up over time, that the idea that, no, no, the, 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 the trauma of that day that sort of seeped into Metropolis can manifest in some way. If, if you build up to that over time, I think it could be like a great, uh, almost existential like story in Metropolis. Yeah. Um, and maybe with Jean being the main character who's investigating it because he's an you mm-hmm. know a telepath or whatever, or maybe someone right. else, but not a Superman story. So something that's no. more about another character who can well, sense and that. And don't forget that that John was was killed in a way because he was under the disguise of Bloodwind, right? Hmm. And he was one of the people that responded to Doomsday. So him even having that tie uh, to 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 that would make him a really good character yeah i think this is like um, a really but, interesting kind like so, so so often yeah. i'll complain that these 13 page stories like have no story this has too much this is too yeah, good right? for a 13 page story this needs yeah, to no. be like a at the very least like a like a one bad day size one shot if not like yeah. a full arc of six issues well and and maybe we're gonna get some of that with john with dan waters in donna dc you know um, yeah, maybe, but I feel like they've, they've rushed through the reveal of mm-hmm. this idea too quick, though. I, I would have loved this to be spread yeah. out and like, sure. explored more. Yeah, for sure, because when you get to the end and he hands him the... Because the, the pressure and the heat of that rage of Doomsday, you know, when he pulls up that crystal, that's what's left of of the human that had the powers, of the empath. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, you know, just that, it's such a sad turn. That this guy was trying to do good, and because he absorbed all this pain, you know, like, it, and it crystallized, you know. I, imagine, imagine Matt, that if this was like a six-issue miniseries, that mm-hmm. we could actually speculate for it. Before we found out what actually was going on, yeah. that 
maybe you know we find out at the end of issue two or three that it was actually the the manifestation of like the memory mm-hmm. of doomsday and the trauma of that like i would love being able to theorize and talk about what's affecting yeah. the people in metropolis and what's affecting maybe this telepath that we're following or something like there, there, i feel there's so much potential with it and i'm, yeah. I'm sad that it's just oh. this 13 page story well and there's that too and even the beginning when he goes and like he takes that guy's pain away and with tears in his eyes it's like no wonder you couldn't sleep right that is some great uh character building right of, of this guy that's yeah. going around and rubbing people's pain and it's just you know and, and again a- and that that's the max dunbar art at play too because the old guy goes from having this look of pain on his face right to he's smiling and and our our main guy i think his name's arse or rc is uh, yeah, i wasn't sure how to pronounce it yeah, because arse it sounds like it's yeah. the, the uk way of saying ass yeah. which does not right. make it sound right. good to say well let's say rc then you know we'll, rc you know, okay uh, you know, just the, the, the tear in his eye, you know, and it tells me everything I need to know about this guy, this guy that got, he got powers from the Lazarus rain. And instead of, you know, doing like what that one guy did in the John story last week of breaking in and stealing stuff, he goes and starts helping people through Metropolis because that's the city of Metropolis, right? That's the city that is, you know, that's Superman city, the, the inspirational, he is hope and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, this was definitely worthy of a miniseries, for sure. Yeah, um, so I think it suffers from being just as short as it is, but at least mm-hmm. it was some interesting concepts. Uh, it had that sort of, that sad ending where Superman can't see the world the way that Martian yep. Manhunter does, and he feels mm-hmm. sad by that. I thought that was a really interesting beat to leap off mm-hmm. on. Uh, the Wonder Woman story that comes next, uh, by Philip K. D. Johnson, uh, mm-hmm. and art by Jack Herbert, shockingly is the one that I like the least, I think. I... I I just, I, I don't know, I didn't get a whole lot out of it. Uh, it was basically, like, armies of people that Amazons have fought in the past are coming up from the ocean because they're all back to life because of the Lazarus rain. Uh, and it's mostly just the fight more than anything. You know, first of all, it's Wonder Woman and this, the other character she's training, and then eventually Hippolyta and the... Or it's not Hippolyta, uh, Nubia shows up with uh, the Amazons to help fight. But it, it's mostly fighting. It, it's mostly uh, just that. Uh, Nubia explains the souls are flooding from the, the well of souls um, and that's, you know, Doom's doorway is uh, under assault. So all, all these like myst- all these mystical connections to like, the dead are kind of like going haywire because the Lazarus resin is bringing people back effectively. Uh, and it, it ends with a cliffhanger saying to be continued on Lazarus planet, Revenge of the Gods. So that's the miniseries that's coming mm-hmm. uh, after the main Lazarus planet stuff is done. So... Um, I just felt like this was mostly fighting, and it's clearly just a tease for this miniseries. Now, the miniseries itself may be quite good. I- I'd be curious to check out the miniseries, but I wasn't feeling this all that much, sadly. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last story, which is kind of the one that I read it for, because it yeah. was the follow-up to the Shazam stuff and uh, by Josie Campbell, uh, with art by Caitlin Yarsky. And it's uh, Mary looking for Black Adam only to find Malik instead uh-huh. uh, and saying, hey, I think you were in my dream. You know, I thought it was Black Adam, but it was kind of a silhouette, so it may have been you. So I need your help to go and get Billy. Uh, so they, they go to the Rock of Eternity, uh, although it looks very different, you know. Uh, you know they, well, they think they go to the Rock of Eternity. I mean, maybe it is something different now. But, uh, you know, we, we get like a, someone, someone that looks like Billy, you know, and Shaz- Shazam saying you don't belong here. Um, and of course, there's a bit of a, a fight that breaks out. Uh, but Billy's actually been held captive 
Um, and effectively, quite quickly, Malik just says, well, wait, if you're connected to the Rock of Eternity, then how can it hold you? So Billy just says Shazam, and uh, that kind of, you know, brings him back, and he goes back home with Mary, um, and, you know, he hugs all the all his family, and uh, uh, the big tease at the end, which also sets up Lazarus Planet Revenge of the Gods, is that the wizard uh, is, is pissed and is mad, and is like, you know what, I keep entrusting my power with others. Um, clearly, that's, you know, they're, they're all traitors, all of them. Um, none of you are worthy. So it seems like Shazam's going to be coming after the, the Shazam family. <laughs> you know, the wizard Shazam, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, again, interesting setup for the for the story. I definitely didn't enjoy this anywhere near as much as the actual miniseries uh, with Mary. Um Obviously, the voice is still there, and Malik's a, a nice enough character. You know, I enjoyed what I read of him in the Black Adam book before I dropped it. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it feels like kind of a clunky setup to a story. It feels like the resolution to get Billy free was just like a quick. I don't know. It was just so quick, and it felt it felt kind of yeah. throwaway. And it's like, oh, that's just already done. I guess. All right, that was easy well, enough. And it feels to me like Mary going to save Billy was is worthy of its own series, right? Yeah. Like that's an arc in a Shazam book. Yeah, um, but it's like half of this is like her meeting Malik for the first time, which is fun. I enjoyed that half of yeah. it, but all of the stuff with actually getting Billy free just felt so rushed and just so quick. Because and I don't blame the writer for this, because I assume this is an editorial thing of he needs to be free for the next thing. So this is how much time you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I was a little disappointed overall with like how this dealt with that story. It just felt really rushed to me. So um. Yeah, very mixed bag again. It's definitely better than last week's special, just because it has had some better ideas in it, yeah. at the very least. Um, I'm curious about this trench thing going forward. I'm curious about uh, possibly this miniseries coming up. And I certainly thought there was a lot of potential in the idea from the, 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 the Martian Manhunter story. But um, I think... I can imagine, though, this might be the peak of these, because fundamentally, these short stories always leave me just feeling annoyed that I wasted time reading yeah. them. So, uh, I think this is my last of the specials. I'll come back and read the Omega issue. I'll read the end of the story yeah. from Mark Wade, but I don't think yeah, I need to like read more of these. It feels like these are just seeds for Dawn of the DC thing going forward. Yes. You know? Yeah. So. Which, and some of them may end up being relevant to books that I like yeah. later on, but I just, I don't know. I think they're kind of a shorty read, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go back and read this damn one. I just, I ran out of time. Like a busy, busy week. Um, so uh, it definitely sounds like something I would have enjoyed. I just feel like the rushing to Billy after we had just talked about at the end of the Shazam book, how much we like Mary. Yeah, yeah. As, it's, it's like, we, we can take time. We can take a couple yeah. of years. Give us some more Mary minis. <laughs> yes, please. So You've just made me like, fall in love with the idea of like following this status quo for a while mm-hmm. and you're immediately just reverting well, back to Billy. And, and right before we recorded, I started reading the, the, the Shazam story. Uh, with Mary and the idea that she keeps Hoppy on her shoulder yeah. as she goes around too is like another little character thing that you know I I thoroughly enjoy with Mary so yeah yeah so as far as rating the whole book goes like I, I mean I'll give it like a six because mm-hmm. uh, it's got some better things in it but fundamentally like, when it comes to these like these collections of like 13 page mm-hmm. stories like I find myself more often than not just kind of disappointed by them because uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, reading like six more of these over the next six weeks does not fill me with any kind of joy. So I think I'm out. 
on those. Uh, I don't suppose you want to read it because you only read half of it. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just reading uh, the two that I read were were kind of strong, but I feel like I can't read it based off of those two. Yeah, that's, uh, that's well, fair. The Manipole art was fantastic. I thought the Dunbar art looked great too. So, um, in yeah, from what fair. I saw, the Shazam art that looks great too. So already stronger than the last one. You know, it's definitely got a much better, stronger list of creators than the last one did. Like, there's no denying that. Like, but across both writing and art, it's just a much yeah. higher standard across the board. So, uh, but fundamentally, I still felt like, yeah, you know, like it, it feels like this weird extra thing to read that I, I just I'm not yeah. getting enough out of any one of the stories to feel like I, I I'm happy that I read it. So, uh, hey ho, uh, that's Lazarus Planet. We were yeah. once gods. Justice Society of America, issue two, Jeff Johns writing with Mikkel Yannin on the art. Uh, so, Helena went back in time, landed next to the Justice Society in the 40s. That's where we left off, issue one. Yeah, I was uh, say, Pete, did you remember that? Because I had to go digging and remember why, what had happened. I remembered that. Yeah, I, I okay. did. I did remember that part. Okay. But, I uh, did not. And if I would have kept just reading, it would have, you know, explained itself. But so I went into my, you know, digging through my pile of books to find Justice Society One. Um, Because it was. Remember uh, how she got there? Yeah, it was the end of November. It was week five in November, so it has been a little bit long since issue one than the the typical month gap. uh, Because I was like, why? Why is Helena laying on a cot in the forties? Reminded me, and then yeah, then it all clicked, and it was fine. Yeah. Uh, So she wakes up. She thinks she hears her father's voice, but but she doesn't, of course. Uh, and she goes to meet the, the GSA of past, and she's like, are you Khalid? And, like, I recognize Judy's father, Jay, and stuff like that. That That's the thing, too, about this, is we know that Helena's from... They keep saying from now, right? So are we to believe that this Helena is the actual future Catwoman Batman daughter? Or is this another timeline? Okay, I, I feel like we have to explain what you meant there, because you kind of glossed over that very okay. quickly so in the book it keeps saying mm-hmm. x years from now or x yes. years in the past right yeah so the x years from now uh given the way it ends because it ends what looks like present day with the dc mm-hmm. uh sorry with the just sleep dark you know it's this mm-hmm. uh you know detective chimp and yeah. khalid dr fate you know it's, it's the current version of these characters yeah. the last it, ones that we've seen yeah and it says now at the end right so which would imply that at least from her perspective that she is the future daughter of Batman and Catwoman, which right. is interesting, especially since we're dealing with Time Masters and we're dealing with the globes uh-huh. and all that, because they're less about multiple Earths and more about different timelines. So I would suspect that she is the future, but that timeline is going to be erased and she's going to be this leftover like character from it, would be my guess. Right, because then she talks about she knew Judy Garrick, right? Yeah, which ties into the, the which ties into Star the lost Girl children, stuff, which yeah. we still don't know how that's going to end or or whatever. And I just I'm like, okay, so is she the is she the daughter of the Earth Two, Batman and Catwoman, and that's the timeline that we're getting, or is this the current timeline? There's a lot of stuff, and this isn't a slight on the book because it's all part of the mystery. I'm just trying to figure out how all these pieces go together. Um. Well, to, to it, me, to me as well, the idea that this Helena recognizes Judy mm-hmm. Garrick uh, also kind of hints at where Star Girl's going, because that would imply right. that 
those characters on the island are going to reintegrate into the main world and that's why right. this helena will know who that is because she's right. relatively contemporary for her when because she was growing you, up right because then you add in the snow globe too that we know from flashpoint beyond which was also you know plotted by by johns um because that's how this book opens up right with the snow globe and yeah the jsa are talking about it in the forest uh-huh. and so i'm just like man there's a lot of things going on here and I, and I like all of it there's a lot of questions and a lot of timey-wimey shenanigans that i just love um but it just yeah these are just the questions i had reading the book which makes for a longer read because i have to stop and think about it yeah uh so she talks to Dr. Fate and says, oh, wait, you're the, the first Dr. Fate. And he's like, yeah. well, t- Yeah, first by that name. Although the, the helmet's been going which, around for a lot longer than that. Which, which, yeah, which I was like, oh, man, Dr. Fate, like a lot like um, Hawkman. I'd love to see the different versions of Fate before Kent Nelson. You know, like what, what were they up to through time? That'd be cool. Yeah, but when uh, she touches Dr. Fate, Dr. Fate kind of like tra- you know, transports uh, to... to- you know, and he's, I think he's got a different outfit as well, slightly. He, well, yeah, so he, he jumps like a year and a half to the future yeah. into Slaughter Swamp where he's talking to Salem the Witch Girl, who sounds like that's his sidekick. Yeah, that's that's, that's his sidekick in, a, in uh-huh. a year and a half's time. And they're looking in the swamp and they run into Grundy. They're looking for Mr. Miracle, uh, mm-hmm. but they find Grundy. Well, they find Mr. Miracle as well. He's fighting him. But, yeah, uh, well, you know, so looking th- for Justice Society Dark. Yes. So they they they, are, they have a bit of a fight. Mister Miracle gets thrown about a bit in the rain, and then it comes back to you know where we were, and like Fate wakes up, and he's like, "That's weird. It was like I was, you know, he thinks it's a vision or yeah. whatever, but he's like, I was in the swamp. I I was seeing different things, and that seemingly Huntress has like you know done something to him. Like just, and then then we start jumping around in time, and we see ten years from now, and it shows you like ten year old Huntress, which would imply that this Huntress is about to be born in, right. in present-day DC. That would be the implication mm-hmm. of that. Because we see Selena at school, uh, like, what you know, with the principal, like, getting mm-hmm. complaints about, you know, whatever Huntress is... <laughs> yep. Whatever Helena Wayne's been up to in school. Right. She, she's been skipping class and stuff. Um, and, yeah, the, 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 but there's also a tease here. It sets up this thing that uh, this villain that killed the JSA in the future... Mm-hmm. The is, Stranger. Yeah, The Stranger... Is someone that Helena has been seeing, kind of almost like it's been this uh, mythical person that's been attached to her mm-hmm. since she was young. Like, like, like she's either possessed, well, not possessed. That's mm-hmm. maybe not quite the right term, but no, like she's she's worth keeping an eye on, right? She's she's marked in some way. Maybe no, I, I think it more is like um, like a spirit that's tied to her. Uh, Maybe he's a better because when because we get to reveal who the stranger is, and so I, I'm more key to for whatever reason this person has been popping in and checking on Helena. For oh no, I mean we'll, we'll get to who it actually is, but I, I just yeah. mean in the, the it, this felt more like she's been haunted by someone. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. So that's I thought I, you were saying like of of the identity of the thing of the stranger was like a. No, you know, no, 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 I'm talking about, like, she's just kind of haunted by him and she's seen yeah. him throughout her life. And so she sees him as, like, a 10-year-old and then, you know, it says, and then, then we jump to 26 years from now, which is where we left off. That was the that was the yep. main timeline in the first issue. This is right after Helena's went away. Uh, Catwoman did that, you know, she sent her back in mm-hmm. time and Catwoman's now left behind with this guy that's killed the JSA, 
who's Degaton. And, yep. you know, we have this this uh, confrontation here. So, um, yeah, and it does not end well for Selina because it then, you know, no. cuts to her gravestone next to Bruce. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Because it also says here that, you know, he's like, oh, you finally believe your daughter. This idea that he knew that, like, Helena knew about him watching her, yep. like, all these years. And they've just never believed her. They've always thought, oh, this is some boogeyman that you're imagining. You, you, you're not seeing someone. Um, which is an interesting idea as well. That, that mm-hmm. they, they never believed her. That Batman never believed her. That Well, and, and you would think, though, with, with two, because of the timey wiminess, he doesn't actually exist. Right? So, of course, Batman would be like, I don't know. No, you're you're seeing things good. You know what I mean? Like, um, What do you mean, timey wiminess? Explain that. So, So, what I mean is, because he jumps through time, like, Batman hasn't encountered this guy yet, right? Like, we don't even know if Batman ever encounters Perdigaton, right? Oh, sure, sure. But so, but no, the, the, what I'm disputing there is you said he doesn't exist. He does exist. He's just disappearing. Right. But what I mean is, like, he doesn't exist to Batman because Batman doesn't know he exists. Oh, sure. But, you that's, know what I mean? but that's very different because yeah. I think we have to be specific here with the terminology. Because yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know what you mean. Because it, 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 it'll get very confusing if, if we start yes. throwing around phrases like yeah. that. Because he, he does exist. He's just jumping yes. through time in different parts of our life. Mm-hmm. But because he doesn't exist, you know, he disappears and he just leaves, mm-hmm. um, there's no reason for anyone to believe that she's seeing yeah. someone. So, and I believe, I don't think this is per Degaton, right? I feel this is a. This is his legacy, right? Because we know sure. Johns loves to write legacy into the Justice Society. So the fact that they just called him Degaton, they didn't give him a first name, um, or even if Per is a first name, because I'm reading it up, I don't know if that's a title or an actual name. Um, but he and he feels so much younger than what I'm used to seeing with Per Degaton in a. Justice Society, but sure. Well, uh, so here's here's the important details that's brought up though uh-huh. in this confrontation. Um, he mentions that the snow globe that was with Helena was ac- actually mm-hmm. ter- basically hid her from him. Uh, like, mm-hmm. and the, you know, he, he says that that made her a blind spot. And the, whatever he's mm-hmm. doing, whatever he's trying to accomplish, this ritual that he's doing by killing all the GSA, he has to kill all of them. So that's why he wants to hunt mm-hmm. down Helena and kill her. But yep. this idea that Either by accident or intentionally, someone was hiding Helena with that snow globe. The idea that, you know, because that's like a timey-wimey device, it was distorting, yep. you know, like... Her, Around her. her. Yeah, her presence to any time travelers or, you know, whatever, you know. So I think that's a very intriguing idea that maybe someone knew that she'd be targeted and uh-huh. gave her this intentionally. Yep. Well, and still, it wouldn't surprise me if that's a Batman thing because if we know what he knows from dealing with the flashpoint beyond stuff. Are you right? suggesting that he always knew? Not always knew, but I think he knows that, that there's like some takey on particle things here. And he knows that Helena, for whatever reason, you know, or maybe, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it's Dr. Batman, right. From the flashpoint beyond universe, um, doing things. Um, I haven't figured that part out yet, but I feel like, the fact that Batman is so tied to that globe right now because of what that globe represents with his dad and the the Flashpoint timeline and, and what that also means for Legacy I mean, and it, all this it, other stuff. It could just be an accident, though. It could be a simple thing mm-hmm. as he still had that globe and she liked it. Right. And, 
right? it's, it's kept it with her and that's you know but yeah it could also be an intentional thing though which is perhaps more yeah. interesting is that at some point maybe batman figured out or realized that maybe she either through his paranoia just thought oh she needs this yeah. for protection against like timeline yeah. like yeah. mess her up people <laughs> right well or, and, and again porky just showed up in in star girl and we know these books are, are kind of tied together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, 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 a, in, a, in a way. So, and Corky was the one that was so associated with Batman during Flashpoint yeah. Beyond. But what was getting to those, like, if there is a threat that Batman's expecting, <laughs> is it just mm-hmm. in general he thinks that in case there's some sort of time-wimey threat, she should be protected by having this next to her? Yeah. Or... Is, does he expect this specific threat? Does he know that there is a specific threat? And if it's not Batman, then did someone expect a specific threat would target her? And because because we're dealing with time travel, it's entirely possible that someone made sure she had that in the past because because right. because they know for in the future that this guy is going to target her. So right. they made sure she always had it so that she would be safe until she's ready to face him head on. If that makes sense. Right. Well, and did did Dayton have to wait X amount of time too? Because if she was always going to be a problem, does, does, did he have to wait for her to assume the mantle of Huntress before he can make his move for his ritual or whatever? Like, because he knows where she's been, right? Because she's been haunted by his presence, you know? So it's one of those things, how come he didn't kill her as a, as a child, right? Um... He had he had opportunities. That feels like the sort of thing that's going to be explained at some point. Yeah. Like that that feels like the sort of thing where we may get an issue where we see wh- why he jumps around these yeah. specific time points mm-hmm. and what he's trying to do. Maybe he's yeah. chasing something through time that's leading um to her would life. Be more, yeah, I'm I'm on the side more right now that it has to do with this ritual he's talking about of killing the Justice Society. You know, th- there has to be specific moments in time that they're tied to in order for whatever. You know, because I, mean, I maybe, just maybe I I I think uh, this is more to do with like he's chasing her through time and yeah. like I I think that there's probably going to be an explanation at some point to specify why it's these times in our life that he's appearing mm-hmm. and showing up, uh, and we'll maybe get it from either his perspective or we'll get an explanation on it. it, it because we're dealing with time travel, it just like. You you have to always remember that the order of the events that the main characters right. see things in is not necessarily the order that right. the villain seeing things in, and of that course. can affect how it plays out later on. Right. Well, and so like clicking on on Dayton on the you know on the DC wiki or the wikia, right? He's part of a group called the Time Stealers, which is rival to you know the mm. the Time Masters and stuff. So if this is his legacy character, right? Because it's just Dagaton. We don't know if it's Bird Dagaton. Is this part of the Time Stealers trying to enact their plan too, right? Uh, in a Time Masters kind of way? Because you, we know from the Booster uh, Gold stuff. Well, I I know from Booster Gold, right? That Rip has a very controlled way of handling things in the timeline, right? So you'd think that the that Dagaton has the same rules in order to get what he needs. You know, it's one of those type of things. Given what you so. just said about them being the, the rivals of the Time Masters, mm-hmm. I would suggest that the Time Masters, or one of the Time Masters at the very least, are the mm-hmm. ones that made sure Helena had this uh, snow globe to make sure she couldn't be detected. Right. And that she's kind of their secret weapon in this war mm-hmm. they're fighting. If that's indeed that's... what we're going to get to, is it was a war yeah. between the Time well, Masters and, and the Time Stealers. Right, I'm just saying, like, because of, of who they're associated with and because of John's, right? Um, just... 
just the whole idea that we the only time we saw Corky right before Stargirl was talking to Batman, right? In in Flashpoint Beyond. So we we know there that there's a tie between those instances. So that's what made me think of the Time Masters, but then made me think of the Time Stealers, right? So it just led to all these things. And again, I could be all completely wrong in all of this stuff. And that's why Jeff Johns is Jeff Johns and I'm not, you know, and I'm talking oh, yeah. about comic books. No, I'm just him. saying if so. if this whole thing is like the Time Stealers are trying to like mess up time against the Time Masters, it would make sense to me that one of the Time Masters, mm-hmm. possibly Corky specifically, Right. Uh, is the one who made sure Helena was like hidden for whatever reason because they think she's going to be the one who can like be the secret weapon or help them fight them or whatever it may be. But I don't think we have enough details yet yeah. to actually theorize no. about a lot of this. Uh, that so yeah, yeah. I just I'm enjoying the ride, right? Like I again, I love John's Justice Society for for the whole legacy vibe and him playing with time right now, and you know us being so removed from the justice society for the last couple of years in him kind of, I feel like him writing it in um, with, with Helena interacting with them and just, just seeing them with, with Janin's art, right? Like um, they look just so classic when we get to that reveal of the, the justice society and it's making the justice society feel special, you know? Um, and if it takes this super, I don't say contrived because contrived sounds negative, but, super planned out type of story with time elements and stuff to, to restore justice society to that, you know, that, that status that I feel they should be at. I'm for the, I'm, I'm all along for the ride. Yeah. Just before the end of the issue, it kind of like recaps like the timeline a little bit by showing you 1940s, uh, specifically the, the stuff in the swamp um, it shows you early Catwoman 13 years ago, and then it says eight years ago, and that looks like Johnsy's mm-hmm. original GSA run from the 2000s. Yeah. And then it says one year ago, and that shows you Khalid becoming Dr. Fate. So it, it kind of, does kind of try to establish some of the timeline. And it's got mm-hmm. this kind of cool little element where uh, Helena's being like punched through them all. Like she's sort of going across the page in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and then the last page is her waking up in what seems to be present day DCU with Dead Man, Khalid, Dr. Fate, and Detective Chimp. So mm-hmm. that's our cliffhanger, and we'll uh, we'll see where it picks up next time. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll read it. Yeah, uh, I going first, or you going first? You always go first. I didn't know if you're gonna shake it up or not. Um, I'm gonna give this an eight point five. Um. Uh, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll agree with the eight point five, but I was I was conflicted because uh, ours very good, Mikhail Yannin, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, with 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 a little bit of um, who's the other artist here? They were on the the last one too. So that's when Selena or Selena when Helena's a, a kid. Um, it changes, yeah, yeah. Scott Collins, um, the Scott Collins art is also fairly good, um. Yeah. But yeah. No, ours very good. Uh yeah. So all right, we'll move on now, I suppose. Uh yeah. <laughs> uh Blue Beetle Graduation Day issue three, just Trujillo and Adrian Gutierrez mm-hmm. on the art. 
Um, I actually didn't read this. Um, a cut had to be made, and this was the one that I uh, I didn't read. Sure. So uh, you can fill them in on it, Matt. So I think it's funny because um, you know Pete doesn't recognize Starfire like nine times out of ten. So of course he doesn't read the book. Once co-stars. Once out of know. an infinite amount. Nine times out of ten, my ass. <laughs> it's just a fun narrative to to go with. Mm. Um, so the this starts with the um with Batman and Ted talking about this Reach invasion, um, and Ted's trying to piece everything together, and they're in what what I'm going to you know call the Beetle Cave, right? He's at the the ship, and he even has glass cases with Booster's costume and his costume, which I think is weird, but. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about this doesn't make any sense because they, they can't figure out what's going on with Jaime's beetle because the type of encryption doesn't exist on earth because it's, you know, it's reach technology. Um, and Batman wants to know about Dynastis and why, why she hasn't been on their radar, you know, like where, where could these other beetles come from? And Ted's like, just give me time. I'll figure it out. I'm the, you know, I'm the guy that knows all about the reach, you know? And um, Batman kind of blames Jaime for all of this, you know, because, you know, he was given strict orders to lay low, but Ted, you're kind of encouraging him to go out and be a superhero. And he's like, he's not a kid. He, you know, he can make decisions for himself. Uh, and then he goes, yeah, 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 whatever. You can do your, your disappearing act. Um, and then Batman does to Ted, and Ted gets kind of irritated because he didn't think he was going to do it. Um, but Starfire comes to talk to Jaime about how, you know, she's worried about him because she knows what it's like to be, you know, her whole backstory of of being and essentially is enslaved to another civilization, um, and you know, not having control over her destiny. So you know. Um, she just wants to come in and check on him and he tells her that he's scared and because he doesn't know what's going on. He thought he had all the reach figured out and him and his scarab were on this, this, you know, they had this understanding and now that's all gone. Uh, but Jaime's mostly upset that Superman came to, to grant because if Superman's telling him to do stuff, he feels guilty, not listening. Um, and, um, Starfire's like, well, this is why I came to talk to you. You need a mentor and I'll, you know, I'll be that mentor for you. Uh, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. As they're having this discussion, Ted's sister, Victoria, has Dynasties uh, under lock and key still. And, you know, it's just like, we're going to give you, you, you know, I'm going to get answers from you. And we find out Dynasties uh, origin a little bit here and that she's a teacher from El Salvador Um and when this this gold beetle came and attached, much like uh, Jaime had the blue the blue one attach, um, and she feels like she was chosen by by fate, and that she feels connected to something greater than herself, something that's much more cosmic. Um, and you know, Victoria's like, wh why, you know, what exactly is all of this in? Um, Dynasty says, well, you know, you have no idea what these scarabs are capable of. So um, she looks at her um, kind of like a thing that's, you know, don't worry. Um, 
She says, don't worry, I'm keeping an eye on all of this too. And you're going to stay here until I know you're no longer a threat to Blue Beetle. But my main question is, are you alone? Uh, and then we get back to, to Starfire and Jaime and, you know, Starfire recounts her, her origin and we get a, a little piece of, you know, how she can absorb languages through physical contact. Um, uh, where when she kisses this, this random guy on the streets of Palmyra city, which I don't understand why they just didn't call it Los Angeles. Cause through all the art, it's very much LA. Like a lot of the vistas are like the Santa Monica pier, some of the mountains in the back, it's just missing the Hollywood sign. Um, but that's, you know, uh, Starfire ends up, you know, learning Spanish through this. Um, and then Jaime's beetle starts going off and a green beetle comes out of nowhere. Um, and comes to start attacking him. And this one has the same kind of armor he does, but has these like scythe, like sword kind of arms, which snaps Starfire and Jaime into to action. And we get an, an action scene of them taking out this beetle, um, which uh, they end up teaming up to do. Jaime takes him up high enough in the sky and has Starfire supercharge the sand on the beach. Uh, so it creates like this molten glass, which then they trap the beetle in, um, which which then it breaks out and says that its name is Natita and then grows like like giant or like Ant-Man would. So now you have this big, giant, you know, kaiju sized green beetle. Um, and um, so Starfire ends up pushing herself into like these tendrils that are coming out of the green beetle and like kind of goes supernova. And when she does that, because of the physical touch of the going future uh, supernova on this beetle, she gets a history. Uh, and then we find out that, that what I'm assuming is dynasties and this green Natita beetle is they are an offshoot of the reach, um, which Starfire had heard, like rumors of when she was up in space before she had come to Earth, um, that um, so centuries ago the Reach fought a deadlocked war with the Tamaranians. You know the the Reach are conquerors, but what they do is they let things on the planets of the conquering get super bad, so then they can come in and be like these saviors, and then they just strip everything away. Um, but because of this war, it led Tamaranians to be in. Uh, in contact with some refugees of the Reach, and they were known as the Horizon, and that these are an offshoot of the Reach that kind of run counter. So if the Reach are conquerors, these refugees are the people that show up to kind of thwart. They're like counter-revolutionaries to the Reach. Um, and it, uh, after Starfire gets all this information, she, you know, um, finishes her supernova phase, and kind of blows apart this gigantic beetle. Um, it kind of dissipates. So I am still not a hundred percent what, how that, you know, big creature. If that's just a piece of the suit or whatever, um, but we see it, you know, disintegrate in, into smaller pieces. And Starfire or Jaime catches Starfire, and they're like, "Well, we got to find, you know, who this is." But um, as they're they're going away from the pier area, someone comes up out of the water wearing a green jacket, uh, and it's hinted that this is that green beetle. And 
she i think it's a she it's just like a she uh disappears into the crowd that came up to to watch starfire and blue beetle um we get towards the to the end here and it's uh ted talking to victoria talking about this gigantic beetle um and you know tells she tells dynasties don't worry uh i won't be gone too long she takes what looks like I don't know if this is a key or her own blue beetle. It looks like a scarab um, and plugs it into a computer and it opens up her own kind of beetle layer, but it's all bathed in red. It looks super villainy. So I'm not sure if she's going to end up being, you know, like a, a, uh, an agent of the reach or whatever. Cause the fact that in Starfire's recounting of their history is, you know, the reach send people in first to make things worse. So then they can come in and offer a solution. Um, but but yeah, and then uh, Jaime gets a call and it is it's his friends. And, you know, they're saying, hey, where are you? We're coming to visit you. Um, and he's like, well, on such short notice, like, what, what are what are you doing? And we need your help. Um, and when it goes back, it seems like his friends are in like this trance and someone sitting in the back of their car wearing a hood. Um, and he goes, Oh, I just hope that your friend can help me. Uh, Jaime was it? And it says next fade away. So I don't know if this is another character. I'm not that steeped in, in blue beetle lore. Um, but it seems like this person is, you know, is forcing his friends to come to town, um, to, to visit, uh, and bring them along. So, and that, that's where it ends. So, a lot of fun stuff happening with the Reach and these different beetles. Come to find out that it's these other beetles. The reason why Jaime's beetle is is acting this way is because these are threats to the Reach. So of course it's going to start acting up. Um, and if if the Reach know they have intel that these you know the Horizon are showing up on Earth, of course his beetle, which is programmed by them to, you know, would go into defensive mode about it. Um, but yeah, I know. Really, really enjoying this. Uh, like that, this gave uh, Starfire some some big props here, like making her Jaime's mentor as someone that's, you know, come come to this planet, experienced everything. You know, she's kind of she has that cosmic tie, and has that perspective for him, um, but uh, is also steeped in like, you know, the DC mythos. As she was a Teen Titan, you know, she's she's been around and seen other things. Uh, and it just it adds a different layer than it being someone like Superman or Batman, right? It's someone that's closer to him and uh, closer to, to his experience. Um, but yeah, um, I'm going to give this a 8.5. Okay, very good. All right. The Human Target issue 11, Tom King writing Greg Smallwood on the art, the penultimate issue of this, and it packs a bit of an emotional punch here or there, dare I say. Um, yeah. yeah, so obviously he confronted, uh, Chance that has confronted Ice with mm-hmm. her lies in the last issue. And this issue just kind of follows on with what happened after that, uh, what they do on the 11th day, which is she basically says she doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he mentions that, you know, at some point during the night they had sex when she woke up and then... <laughs> she woke him up and had... Uh, at her way, believe with me, or had at me or whatever. And I was, was like, geez, chance. Uh, I believe the Ooh. exact 
uh, wording was sometime in the night she woke me and had me. Yeah. Had me was the um and then next day they go to the beach because they'd spent some time there before mm-hmm. and they you know go into the water and uh they make out she makes like a little ice raft with a like a, a deck chair and a, a palm yep. tree on it for them yep. to uh to snuggle and whatnot and all this is very it's very contemplative it's very kind of basking in the moment even though they've kind of revealed this truth and yeah. does she even cracks a joke a little bit when because he says at one point I like it when you lie and she's like you've never heard heard me tell the truth, but you know I I've kind of felt like for a long time with this book that like, there is real feelings there and I think that's kind of mm-hmm. finally confirmed where they're lying on in the water and he says well you miss me and she says shut up and both of their eyes are closed and the the, the, the panels do this mm-hmm. thing where it gets closer to them uh, as it goes down the page and. He says, well, I got lucky because I won't have to miss you. And he says, I'll just be gone. And then you see her eyes, like the tears coming out of her eyes mm-hmm. as she's lying there. Um, and it's this idea that, you know, she reveals that, yeah, okay, me and I, me and Fire conspired to kill Lex because he was behind my death. And we the had Overmaster like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. He brought in Overmaster and he killed me. So I wanted him to kill. But Fire said, oh, you can't just kill him with something cold because it will obviously be you. We have to do something that won't lead back to you. And it's like, yeah, it's it's, it's actually as simple as it always was. It was the first yeah. thing that Chance thought is that Ace wanted him dead because he tried to kill her. Fire yeah. helped her out with it. So did Guy Gardner. And basically when Christopher Chance became involved, Fire said, you should keep an eye on him because you're sweet and innocent and, he, and he'll never think that you did it. If he gets to know you, he'll never think you did it. But... Yeah. Of course, the tragedy of this is that in this time, it feels like she has actually fallen for him, and she does have mm-hmm. a genuine connection with him. So it's not just that she's in love with him. Obviously, I think from the get-go, there was probably a guilt because this guy yep. who's innocent is like the one who's actually dying because of what you did. But knowing she's already responsible for his death, she's also fallen in love with him. It, it's crazy, too, that this has only been 11 days, and all of this emotion, like emotional baggage has happened between the two. And of oh, course, sure. for us, it's been coming on a year, right? Uh, it's probably over a year at this point because we had that little that slight break with that. Yeah, there was like a special three or four right? month break. Yeah, so over right. a year, yeah. Yeah. So, but in the scheme of the book, it's only been ten days. So, like, whatever happened between them happened fast, and it was almost as if Ice hadn't had time to fully process everything. And that's what I love here is that this this issue takes its time and us spending with ice as she's explaining these things and it it's almost as if she's starting to process it as we're reading yeah. all of this stuff and it's noble she doesn't actually start telling and explaining the mm-hmm. story until after that emotional moment where yeah. she feels bad because he's that you know she, she is going yeah. to miss him um mm-hmm. and it kind of escalates from there where um you know he he they get back to you know he, he jumps in the water they end up back um at the at the uh at the, at the beach right at the shore yeah yeah um and it becomes this confrontation where she she like smashes the car with her ice and gets angry and says i'm not sweet i'm not nice and she slaps him and basically insists that you know he take his revenge that yeah she be punished for what she's done so the actual guilt of it really comes pouring out of her 
Um, and even like sort of brings up uh, Chance's father and how his father died and how he was sort of begging for his life and you know mm-hmm. don't be like him you you don't want to be like him so you know take it you get that gorgeous two page spread where she's put a gun in his hand and she's made him point it at her head and it's mm-hmm. just this two page spread of of her saying I love you and she's basically saying I want to give you this this mm-hmm. revenge I want you to take this and have have your you're ending before you die because I love you, right? So there's a lot of emotion pent up. Um, mm-hmm. And then the cliffhanger is just a quiet page of like the panels. You can see the water mm-hmm. on the, the beach. You can see the car sitting there. You see a, a seagull uh, looking at, uh, and you see the beach. And you never hear a bang. There's never a gunshot like sound no. effect. It's just the quietness that it ends on. And it's, you know, it, I don't think he does kill her, but no. the, the issue is ending with the, He's it's ending with him in this moment where he has to make this choice. Is he going to do it? And well, I think what was so fascinating to me about this book is that it's it's so simple and yet so complex at the same time mm-hmm. where like the actual mystery ended up being the simplest answer that was kind of presented all the way back at the start. But mm-hmm. what's made it complex is this like guilt mixed with anger and it's almost like she wants to like him to kill her to one get like give him the ending because she feels guilty, but also she doesn't have to live with what she's done because she actually mm-hmm. does care about him, and she's going right. to have to live with that. Um, so I think well, it's, if it's nothing a mirror else, to, yeah, I was gonna say it's a mirror to his sentence of, of I get off lucky is I just stopped to exist. You're the one that's left the guilt, and now like she's that's hit her, and you know, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, I would say that the crowning achievement of this this book is making us feel the connection between these two and mm-hmm. feel the romance and feel how he feels about her throughout. Yeah. Um, like, that has been nailed so much throughout the art and throughout the storytelling uh, across yeah. these 11 yeah. issues. That yeah. Everything in this issue hit really hard because it, yeah. it felt like wondering if it was real from her and then finding out in this issue, no, it was real. Like, it's real despite the fact that it started from this place of, like, keeping an eye on him, from lying to yeah. him. But the feelings that she developed were still very much real. Um, right. She she's a femme fatale, but not on purpose, right? Like she's still responsible for his death. Yeah, and she did a lot of the shady stuff, but it didn't come from a place of of purpose, right? He just got caught in the crossfire because he's the human target, you know, um, and he's gonna get hit no matter what. Um, I still think he has an ace up his sleeve with the poison, you know. Um, I don't think this ends with the the death of Christopher Chance in the way that we think. I mean, we've we've been speculating that since issue one. Yeah, because it's, because it's human target. We've questioned that since day one. It's the fact that he talked about he's great at biding his time because he goes, you know, not not every case pays that great, and so sometimes he'll take a job from like a, a rich person that doesn't want to do jail time, mm. and so he'll go and spend time in jail, right do whatever he needs to, gets killed, and by the time he makes it out of the jail or the prison, the rich person's living off of an island, you know, forgotten by everybody else and stuff. Yeah, the, so the, the, you know. the book obviously brought up his relationship with his father and how his father died, and Ace brings it up yep. here, but the, this issue also starts with yep. a memory of his father in the beach, uh, where, where his father's like, trying to teach him how to skip rocks, and he can't do it, but his father says, you know, hey, you've got all day, like, sun's just coming up. 
Um, obviously that sets the mood for this final day where because they, yeah. they, they go to the beach and they end up staying out there until it's, the sun goes down the so, sunset. so yeah. like they're, they're kind of like saying what do you want to do in your last full day and this is what they do this is their, their peaceful time together but I think also this idea that this idea that he was he learned from his father how to bide his time and not rush yeah. uh, I think is something that is thematically going to be relevant where I think the, the, the book's almost given as a red herring that I mean, it's still relevant, don't get me wrong, but I think it's almost a red herring that we're dealing purely with, like, his memory and how he feels about his father's death, when I think the... Whatever he does in the last issue is probably going to be something that he learned from his father from, like, a happier memory, something that came yeah. from before. Uh, For sure. You know, that, that was the vibe I was getting just from the way this issue started and, like, yeah. then bringing up his father again later on. Uh, well, and the fact that she tries to use the memory of his father against him you know, there, you know, don't, don't die like your father. And, but you know, he's already made the decision that he's not going to, he's fully experiencing all this stuff. He's not begging for his life in any way. No, you know? no. And he's, he's at terms of it. And just the fact too, that the last quarter of this book, right. Is, is with the sunset. And just the fact that this is the second to last issue. And so just thematically how well that all works. Yeah, this is good into his last... This was his last full day, because he's going to yeah. die sometime tomorrow. Yeah. Basically, yeah. So Right. It, so it's, it's, it's there to remind you that the clock's ticking down without yeah. a literal clock. And it's and the colors are just so beautiful. And we get all of the interactions where she... Where she finally loses her cool and smacks him and destroys the car and all this other stuff. Everything is in, you know, that that twilight effect right where the sun's going down but it's not all the way down but there's still shadows and she's in shadow this whole time right yeah after that and ignoring that we think he may have something up his sleeve Mm -hmm. getting the last issue i think there's this interesting idea that he is biding his time and he's in the peacefulness Mm -hmm. of this day and everything is peaceful you know it's just it's the beach there's no one else Mm -hmm. there it's just the water it's just them and her frustration is that she wants to be proactive and do something. So she mm-hmm. wants to sort of like make an explosive finale. Whereas right. he seems quite content, at least right now, he seems content to just let right. it play out and sort of ride off into a quiet sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, but she can't live with that. She can't do that. She has to like, there has to be some sort of dramatic action to take place yeah. to give it a final moment. And I think that that kind of difference between them. So I, I am fascinated to see how he pays off this quiet cliffhanger. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's both a huge cliffhanger, but it's also a very quiet cliffhanger. It's literally a yeah. quiet cliffhanger. Uh, so I, I thought that was a very poignant ending, and it felt mm-hmm. like the sort of thing that you'd get to the end of an episode of a TV show, and it would just it would cut to the credits on the yeah. quiet moment uh, and leave you just kind of, like, desperate for more. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no, I know. I still can't just get over the colors on this. It's, too, it's so much, so much I, of it's reflective so much of it's like yeah. him thinking about his life and um yeah. the, the thing that, he, that matters most to him actually might be her now in this last mm-hmm. week of his life so i think that's quite fascinating as well yeah and too and i like all the art here right where there's a lot of as she's recounting the story to him as they're sitting on that ice float right it, it's that we've seen it before where the art's on like the right side of the page or the left side of the page and all of the, the the speech boxes are in this white void on the other side. Yeah. And it just, it adds this dramatic effect to everything, you know, which I can't even think of a way if this was filmed, how that would, how they would play that out. But um, I think, I think if this was like a, a movie, the, the same effect you would get from basically like putting, um, 
like almost putting like a like a CRT filter on it to make it feel like mm. it's something from a TV screen, so it feels like a story uh, and not part of the real yeah. world that the rest of the, the movie's in. Because like when she's talking about Guy, right, and he says a few years past, I spend them with my with as kind sweet ice, and then guys at my house ranting and raving. The way that she's in full color, well, full her color, she's she's blue, right, in her color, like her superhero costume. But guys in the orange, where he just kind of is just part of the background he's just part of the scenery you know because he's not the focus i just it's these little things here that smallwood does so great right and i'm sure a lot of that also came from from king in the script but just the stylistic choices in this book yeah I, I mean i think the important level. the important part is that when, when she's explaining this backstory stuff mm-hmm. is that those panels feel very distinct from all the other art in the yep. book they feel like you know they are a story from the past whereas mm-hmm. everything in the the main part of the book including like chris talking about this memory of his father gets the uh the full like oh this this feels very cinematic it feels like mm-hmm. all the big, the big panels the big spreads everything feels very serene and yeah. you know like whereas those those like small boxes that those backstory beats play out when she's telling the, the mm-hmm. explaining the backstory they feel very confined and claustrophobic yeah. they feel like they're uncomfortable because they're in these small windows in time yeah. And they feel very tense because of it. Whereas, despite the fact that he's counting down to his final days, everything on the beach feels very peaceful, open, and open. Right. Yeah, it feels like, yeah. yeah so she's uh, the one that's in is locked up, even though he's she, she's the one who feels tense right now, despite yeah. the fact that he's the one who's mm-hmm. dying. Yeah. Right. So yeah, man, this book just works on so many levels. It's it's ridiculous how every time, you know, it it manages to like. Not that it does something different, but it just it maintains and it elevates, you know, just through yeah. storytelling. Because, like, this is a very quiet issue, and it comes across with these, like, open vistas. And, and then you get to that, that's, like, we we're talking about, it feels very claustrophobic, right? And then when it, it jumps back to chance, right, um, I'm trying to find that page, because it, after, it, when it goes back, and at the end of that, it's her laying on him. And then at the bottom of the page, it jumps back to the regular style art and just how much bigger that panel is compared to everything. Um, it just, yeah, it's just storytelling at its finest. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I uh, can't wait to see how it wraps up in the final issue. Mm-hmm. But this is, a, you know, a very, very emotional kind of like quiet issue before the mm-hmm. uh even though the emotions are quite big and obviously it escalates yeah. at the end with the gun stuff but uh it, 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 the way it builds in that uh, from such a, a quiet place where they kind of just like went about without talking about the fact that he'd kind of figured it out uh, and it mm-hmm. just sort of was there and awkward um like all of that just feel, feels like it has it's oozing in mood and i just yeah. kind of love it so uh what are you giving the human target issue 11 uh, 9.5. Yeah, I agree, 9.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. So, this is the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and top five books. So, Matt, what is your panel slash moment of the week? So, it's going to be from Human Target. Of course it is. And it's, <laughs> yeah, of course it is. But it, it is that... Um, I'm trying to get back to the front of the book because I was just thumbing through it all. Um, but when it's when they first show up, to to the beach and or not the it's the memory with the dad mm. right and you have the 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 sunset going down and just the golds and you see the kid 
in silhouette and they're standing there. And it just with the, it just feels like a classic design, right? You have the human target credits at the bottom of the page in that corner and just, it feels very cinematic. But sure. it goes from the, the thing where, you know, the first page of the book is this white with the, the ocean, you know, in these panels. And then it opens up to this widescreen, right? Double page spread. Um, but yeah, that's mine. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to go with the uh, her lying on his chest and the tear coming out mm-hmm. as he's saying that he won't be around to uh, miss her. Um, I just, I, you know, it's just like so much. Uh, like I already, I already felt like it was a real connection between them, but that was mm-hmm. kind of like this confirmation. Uh, yeah, it, it just it hit really hard. Uh, so cover of the week. Um, obviously the main human target cover. It's probably my pick. The regular human target cover is probably my pick, but I will shout mm-hmm. out the. Steve Beach cover for action, which is like a very Terminator Metallo head with yeah. uh, Superman's reflection in the, the top of the dome. I really like that cover. Uh, and also the regular McKelvey cover for Batman One Bad Day is also very nice. So. Yes, I'm seeing if there's a uh, if there's a variant for the One Bad Day. Um, there's a bunch yeah. of them, but I don't know. Yeah, if any of them do. Yeah, no. Um, a lot of Power Girls I was looking through earlier. Yeah, Power both, Girl covers this week. Both Action and GSA have Power Girl variants. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now the regular Human Target that that blue on the white, uh, yep. with the with the sort of sketchy uh-huh. art from from Smallwood is just yep. perfect. So yeah, uh, that's my pick. Uh, you got another pick, or do you just say no? That to, that, that's yeah, my pick okay. too. Uh, I went through and I tried to justify an Action Comics cover or Lazarus Planet. There's nah, that's, like nothing. That's fair. Nothing hits like the human target one. Uh, I've got a feeling I know what you're going to say, but best art of the week, Matt. I mean, I would love to say McKelvey, right? But Smallwood. Um, also, shouts to Yannon for for Just Society because yeah, I no, really like I... his design. But it's a, is it a week with human target? Is Smallwood on art? It's the art of the week. Yeah, Greg Smallwood for me too. That is just that simple. All right, Matt. Top five of the week. Sweet. All right, so number one's going to be Human Target. Two's going to be One Bad Day. Three is uh, Blue Beetle. Four is Action Comics. Five is Justice Society. All right, my number one's Human Target. My number two is Justice Society. Number three is Action. Number four is One Bad Day. Five, Detective. There we go. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what's coming next week then from DC Comics, which is what I usually do next. So coming next week, we have a very quiet week because it is a week five. Uh, so, you know, good week for my Patreon books, <laughs> which is always nice. Yeah. Uh, but next week we have Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn issue one. So it's the next one of those. Mm-hmm. We have the Flash One Minute War special. So obviously that's tying into the uh, current Flash arc, which is fun. Uh, we have Batman Legends of Gotham issue one. What is this? <laughs> yeah, is, I don't is, know what that is. is. Question. Uh, we have uh, it's a forty-eight page annual size book. We got Andy Diggle, Carl Buster uh, writing, uh, art by Gia Domenico. Uh, mm-hmm. We got Katana on the cover, so maybe some uh, outsider stuff. Yeah, Jason Todd, Black Lightning, and Katana will have to put aside their differences to save Batman's legacy. I do and know. with it, the world. 
I do not remember the solicitor for this at all. Me but, neither. Uh, but yeah, it's Diggle, Carl Mostert, um, Gio Domenico on the cover. So yeah. Uh, so we also have DC Harley Quinn Romances issue one, which is a ten dollar anthology book, and then we have DC Power a celebration issue one, which is a uh, a Black History sort of special. Uh, so um. I, I think the DC Power one is one that we will read because it is a quiet week, so uh, and it's more important than a Valentine special. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll look at that. We'll look at One Minute War. Um, Let's see who's on. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to read any more Lazarus Planet specials, but there's so long next week. I don't either, week. because I was, I was looking at that one, and a lot of the teams aren't doing it for me, a lot of the characters, although... Trigon's on the cover, and they tend to like that type of stuff. I mean... But it's... Here's the writers. We have Greg Pak, Dennis Culver, Alex Segura, and Alex Pacnadel. Clayton Henry, Christopher Mitten, Jesus Marino, make... Oh, that's a cover artist. Um, and those, those are the artists that are listed. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And with, with the way that it's been... Man... I mean, I'm enjoying just the idea of only a couple books. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, DC Power is 100 pages, so you you know you get a hefty amount yeah. of reading out of it. Uh, so yeah, so it's kind of a weird week five, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely look at uh, the one minute war special in DC Power, mm-hmm. and then I'll have a couple of Patreon books uh, next week. So uh, mm-hmm. that's coming up for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah that, that's there you go uh, that'll wrap up the show though that has been uh, episode 341 i will thank our patreon producers for the month thank you very much to tyler heston the palaceus david sharp board now christopher moy david brown and al treisman you can support all the content uh over at patreon.com slash tv the early access to the show whenever it's ready late on the saturday you'll get it uh versus when it goes out on the sunday but uh, if that is of interest or you want to support the content you can do it that way. Uh, you can also support us for free by liking, subscribing, dinging the bell for notifications on YouTube, or rating us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. And of course, sharing us out with other DC Comics loving people. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast. But that is me. I am starving. I am going to go eat food. This show is over. Thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.